Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. everybody, it's Wednesday, February 5th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hi. Mr. Bob Ryer. hey And joining us, Mara Wood. Hello. Hi, Mara. How are you doing? <laughs> so little and far okay. away. <laughs> um, Mara stepped in because Stephanie is having an annoyingly beautiful vacation in Belize right now. Yeah. <laughs> Every picture makes me want to punch her in the face because it looks so amazing. <laughs> She's like, oh, here's this dolphin that kissed a rainbow. Do you remember oh. Do you remember she said on the podcast that she wasn't going to be tweeting from her vacation? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no service. Yeah. yeah. There's not going to be any service on the island. Yeah. What do you mean climb a tree? <laughs> That's all she's been doing is tweeting and it looks amazing. Yes, it does. Um, Good for her. Though. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's awesome for her. But in, in her absence, Mara has stepped in. And um, how's it going, Mara? It's going great. We're having a uh, a freezing rain day, so I didn't have to work. Nice. That, uh, that sounds ridiculous to me. Sounds familiar. <laughs> it's the south. Yeah. So we had another eight inches of snow uh, yesterday, or Monday, yep. I guess, if, we're, if, we're, if you guys are listening to this on Wednesday. Um, most of it is still here, though. Most of it is still here, um, and they're supposed to get more on the way. So it's been a snowy winter. And three feet, possibly, on Sunday. Yeah. It was like 50 degrees through Christmas, and then all of a sudden in January, they decided that it was going to be horrible. Oh, it was great. They had the January weather records in our local newspaper. It dropped 48 degrees in temperature in one day. It went from 55 to 7 in in a day. That's insane. Insane. The polar vortex. Oh, my God, yeah. The Amy (laughs) Polar Vortex. Um, (laughs) Oh, I want that on a (laughs) T-shirt. Uh, yeah, it's been ridiculously cold, and the weather has been ridiculously bad. It was nice for the Super Bowl. It was. It was beautiful. It was the one day that <laughs> it was so weird. It made, it made up for how awful that game was. It was one it of the most terrible. boring games I've ever seen. <laughs> it was such a bad game. It was over 12 seconds in, It was basically. It was a really horrible game. Um, got a cool... Uh, there was a cool... I, didn't, I, didn't, I missed the Cap TV spot. I didn't see it on TV <gasps> while we were watching. So I just watched the two and a half minute trailer they released right along with it. And that trailer was pretty awesome. Yeah. It looks pretty great. I have not seen it yet. You haven't seen it yet? No. I'm almost, I I feel like I've almost seen enough Mm -hmm. uh, right now. And they're already, they're already teasing stuff about the, like the capper at the end, Mm -hmm. the little extra footage thing. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything Mm -hmm. about it, but uh, you know, no, I, I am, I'm so already there. Mm-hmm. I'm so pumped. It's my most anticipated of the Marvel films that are that are to come. Mm-hmm. I just, 
I probably will check it out eventually, mm. but I don't need to to be super, super excited about it. Someone posted on one of our boards uh, a clip from the British one where mm. they show Sharon Carter. Yeah, they show it's one shot. Ooh. It's one yeah. shot where they show her walking away, looking at him when they pass each other in a hallway. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks great. I mean, there's a little more Winter Soldier. They give you a little more background if you're not familiar with the character, who that who that person mm. is in that universe. Um, we The Falcon, we actually get to hear him speak a little bit. Um, see him do a couple more things and you know w- we get this you know this line kind of near the end where Nick Fury says to Cap you know, I guess you're calling the shots now um, <laughs> which maybe hints towards you know mm-hmm. you know Captain America director of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, or something in, in the future we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that uh, Mara did you watch that trailer by the way? I watched the trailer um, last night my husband and I sat in front of Hulu Plus and just watched <laughs> as many of those commercials as we could mm. Because neither one of us care much for football at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> you're not get any ration. not sorry. No, you're not going to get any ration stamps in the next war with, with inflammatory <laughs> well, comments like that. <laughs> we don't care much for football. Um, so uh, what, did, what did you think of the, the trailer? I loved it. I actually watched it a couple times. And I'm not really a big fan of watching trailers before the movie comes out. I could be completely surprised, but that one I'm just I'm just too excited for it to not go and watch it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm just having like dreams and goosebumps about it constantly now. <laughs> Fever dreams about Captain America. Yeah, I mean it it, it look it looks great. Uh, what doesn't look great is uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't good enough to. It's com- something like, with extinction. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, He's Optimus Prime Grimlock. was riding atop uh, Grimlock. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks like Game of Thrones goes uh, Transformers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All you know what it is, my, whoever puts those trailers together. I mean, that trailer in particular mm. was bad. Yeah, um, and I love Jeff. Like, oh man, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> what isn't awesome about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I was like, have you seen the other movies? That's what's not awesome about yeah, what's happening. It's right like now. A, it's. I, I said every every Transformers trailer is a mirage because yeah. you you know you think that there's this oasis mm-hmm. over the next Dune, yeah. and there's not. There's just a bunch of shitty sand. Yeah, it's those movies are not very good. No. I mean the 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 visual porn aspect of them. Uh, other than that, yeah, it, they're not good. They're, well, they're, what they are is they're like 45 minutes of really awesome action, but then there's two other hours yeah. of movie that I don't understand why Why does Transformers need to be almost as long as The Wolf of Wall Street? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. They gotta have, they gotta have uh, Witwicky's parents. They gotta yeah, do their, their little shtick. Yeah. They're, they're homage to uh, Iron Giant. Yeah. yeah. Parts crawling around in the backyard, <laughs> knocking stuff over. Mm. Uh. And they have to have somewhere to put all these high-priced actors who, for some reason, get seduced into, oh, you know, it's a paycheck, and I can then go make an indie movie. Mm-hmm. That means you, John Voight, and John Turturro, and who was, who was Mark some, Wahlberg is Mark in this Wahlberg's one? in this one. Yeah, he's in this one, yeah. They, they, they have a lineup of, of really good actors who are as atrocious in all those movies. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, and, but notably absent, obviously, we didn't have uh, an X-Men uh, or, oh. or a Guardians uh trailer spider-man yeah. trailer spider-man though. we did have spider-man yep. that's right and they also released like a four minute long sizzle reel right along yeah i watched with that. that as well um i mean i think it looks great I-, I think that look i'm still worried about the amount of people who are continues being added to to th- this roster of people i i think what's what they've showed more in, the- in this most recent thing is that they're definitely 
they're definitely putting forth kind of like that Sinister Six thing right in this movie. That, that's what yeah, it seems yeah. like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of that one kind of gasp, that gasp, but, but a little bit of like caught in my throat moment where the, we see Gwen hanging from a like mm-hmm, a yep. uh, like a web, and we'll, we'll have to see how how they play all that stuff out. Um, and we learned actually. We, this is it, this. We already knew this person was cast, but we learned that B.J. Novak, who was in the Office, the American Office, and Glorious Bastards, he's playing um, Smythe, the Inventor uh, of the Spider Slayer. Inventor of the Spider That's Slayer. Great. Oh. Yeah. So we we don't know exactly how he's going to play oh. out. Yeah, in, in this movie, I, I, I think this is a seed they're laying for something later on. But Shh. they're definitely packing out this universe w- with people. Uh, Mara, you watched the Spider Man as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm not as excited about it as Captain America, or yeah, Captain America. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I'll go see it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I just didn't hit right with me. All right. If that makes sense. All it right. didn't. It didn't tickle my fancy. What about you, Bob? Except for the robotic rhino, mm-hmm. I was really jazzed by all of it. Walking down the hallway, and there are the vultures' wings and Doc's arms and whatever. Is oh yeah, this is getting big. I know that the rhino in a gray suit, a big fat guy with a horn, is going to look kind of ridiculous in this day and age. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm still trying to get over the goblin from yeah. the first set of movies where it just wasn't right. And when you saw what they could have done, mm-hmm. go the other way. There, there had to be a a body armor version of the rhino that maybe was more rubbery that didn't quite yeah. look like a transformer with a horn on his nose. There, there's a there's a there's a, um, a happier medium between what is in the comics and what they did in that, what looks like they're doing in that movie. Um, But I I think that like, yes, absolutely. Like a big guy just in a gray suit that looks like a rhinoceros is is probably going to be a little (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) Like Sesame street more than anything else. Yes. But if he was a little bit more like he had like some sort of like combat suit on, it would probably, it would probably work a little bit better. If he just had gear. Yeah. He had gear. Like like Bane with a horn or something. Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, (laughs) Like those, um, you know, in the first G.I. Joe movie, they have those suits that they use that like running through the streets and everything yeah. like that, like something like that, you know, because it's just, it, it'll, I mean, look, it, it might, in the movie, the way it moves and the way that, 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 that power behind it, it might work as far as, you know, functionality goes, but just seeing it in trailers, it, it doesn't look very cool at all. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, eventually we have to realize that not everything in the comic book is going to look good on TV. Oh, no, absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. Absolutely not, but... That's why it's in a comic book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's where, that's go ahead, Steve. Um, no, I'm just saying, if I if if I were to to design him, I probably would have gone the route of the suit and just had the suit kind of like form around him, making mm-hmm. him a bit bulkier, like giving him a little bit more height. But for the horn, I would maybe have had like almost like plasma affixed to the top of the of the skull cap or whatever, and the horn itself be like some kind of like glowing electric orange cone type thing instead of it being you know this giant unicorn horn sticking out of his head <laughs> so i don't know that's just me I thought that would look cool. way too often they change all the outfits and sometimes it might work but for those who say you can't do it the way they were in comics yeah christopher reeve superman outfit mm-hmm. raimi's spider-man and the one even from the last movie yeah. you can do it provided you have a really good costume designer who mm-hmm. understands how it's going to look on film that it's not just the Adam West Batman outfit. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm look at the Avengers. The Avengers is the most, it, it it's the most obvious of these tells, right? Because they they switch up some of the costume, some of the details of the costumes, but primarily what you're getting is those people's looks. You mm-hmm. know, um, even Loki, who 
you would think, looking at, a, at his version of the comic book, you'd think that would never work in a movie, and they made it work because they had obviously hired somebody very smart to design both her, yeah. his and Thor's costume mm-hmm. to adapt them into something that could that makes sense to your eyes in a, in the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Thor and so. the Avengers look so much more like the comic book with the the yeah brass. I don't know what you call them. Yeah, those, like, those little those shields on his chest discs, for them. Yeah. And, and still a cape. They gave him the cape. Yeah. I do miss his helmet, though, which mm. we did see for a brief bit in the first movie. Yeah. The big wings. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you cannot uh, obscure that beautiful Chris Hemsworth visage I, I, at all. <laughs> right. It, Cap, you're going to see a lot of Chris Evans in this movie. You it are. It doesn't yeah. seem like he's wearing his mask on. <laughs> no, no, no. I loved being in uh, the theaters to see Thor and that in the very beginning when he's walking into the moonlight with his shirt off. Yeah. It was like at least seven girls in the audience that kind of like straightened up in their seats and started fanning themselves a little bit. Like whether they were joking or like just a natural reaction. I was looking around the room. It was hysterical. <laughs> it's true. They were like, like oh, oh, oh my. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> How long is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Beautiful Chris Hemsworth. Um, all right. So uh, that's some of the trailers we saw for the Super Bowl. But uh, speaking of, uh, we'll, we'll do a little negative first, get this out of the way. Um, both Steve and Bob have seen the new um, Oops. DC animated film, Justice League War. And if you guys are thinking about going pick it up or if you're on the fence, uh, sometimes you guys want to know what we think about this stuff, so I figured that these guys um, kind of give you their opinion uh, about the film. Um, now, now, Bob, starting off with you, you've seen all of them, right? Pretty uh, much? I even Flashpoint Paradox. Right, yeah, right. I'm pretty much, uh, I think... Just about could I may have missed All Star Superman. Okay, all right. So, but you you have you have a very you you know the breadth right. and you kind of have a lot to compare it to over the years. Um, what did you think of Justice League War? It is for those people who loved Man of Steel. For those who want, now I haven't read the story arc from Justice mm. League that they're using here, though. There's a huge change that I'm sure mm. Steve will speak to. If that's the tone you want, then it's here and it's here in spades. Mm. It is unremittingly dark and violent. There's plenty of action, if you want to call everyone beating each other senseless for the better part of two hours. Green Lantern is a moron. For someone who is the the emblem of will and positive forward energy in the DC universe, he doesn't even know what it is he's doing. He has to basically be told what to do with his ring constantly. Mm-hmm. Flash is pretty good. <laughs> Um, we get the, I don't like using absolutes. However, you have the absolute worst depiction of Wonder Woman ever filmed. David E. Kelly is now off the bottom of the pile. (laughs) He has moved up and he did nothing to do it. (laughs) You have a Wonder Woman who apparently has been here in man's world for a while, who now, for instance, doesn't know what ice cream is. Ice cream is wonderful, Bob. I know it is. <laughs> or that you need to pay for things that you get. You instead, you know, attack people with a sword. <laughs> when you, you're dealing with parademons and dark side and possession and all sorts of really crazy stuff that basically amounts to lots of people fighting. Mm. A whole lot. A whole lot. And things exploding and a Superman possessed and people getting their necks broken and their eyeballs fried out. Yeah. Um, I know this is PG-13, 
The thing is, as with the movie that shall not be named from last year, <laughs> PG-13 on, in this case, an animated movie filled with childhood heroic characters that the parents who are buying this grew up with, even if there's a little thing that says uh, strong language, sci-fi violence, it's pretty jarring when four minutes and 40 seconds in, someone says, for me, this is for me, what the hell? Which opens the floodgates to, I'm going to apologize in advance. Is this a PG-13 show? It's an R-rated show, Bob. Okay. <laughs> Whore, pissed off, kick-ass, bimbo, go to hell, you douchebag, son of a bitch, kick his ass, and shit. <laughs> in a DC animated film, presumably for children. It's all in there. It's all in there. Then you go with all the terrible characterizations and the useless violence and the tremendously dark tone. This was not for me. This is not what I go to see one of these movies for. When you saw the, the uh, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini ones, all these years, how great they all were, even the ones that are darker ones, Batman Dark Knight Returns, you anticipated that. Mm -hmm. it, it says it on the cover. Yeah. This is Justice League. To so many people, these are the super friends. And when the same day the stealth release at Target, Trapped in Time, is an all-ages, glorious, wonderful, kind of cheesy, but fun thing, and this is what they release. They want these movies, I think, to replicate the tone of the universe. Comic books are, as, as they put it themselves, are for 45-year-olds. Mm -hmm. That's who they're making books for. An animated cartoon is not going to be in the minds of a lot of people. I think there's going to be some blowback from this from parents who then can't show this to their kids, and mm -hmm. that's, that's too bad. Mm -hmm. I'll take a breath. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I echo everything that... Bob was saying for me the movie was very unbalanced in its delivery I actually sat down while watching it and I had the books in my hand uh, flipping through the pages as the story went on and uh, I know it's an adaption I know that but the level of quality that you had in the dialogue when you had like direct from the book Jeff Johns mm. it was it was on as soon as they deviated from that it was way off um, I did not care for the voice acting in any way. Um, certain deliveries of certain lines felt like they were off cue. There was a lot of awkward exchanges. There was one right in the very beginning with Green Lantern and some woman on the street that he rescues her. And she's, you know, asking, oh, do I got to give you money now? Do I, what do, we, what do I got to do? Are you expecting a thank you? And they're just, he was like, what? She goes, huh? He goes, What? And then there was silence, and he goes, you're welcome, lady, and flies away. And I'm like, what What am I watching? Hmm. Um, so a lot of the exchanges, the Wonder Woman stuff was bad. She did not feel like Wonder Woman in any way that I know of her to be. Um, I have read the story, so I'm kind of I'm familiar with the tone of it and stuff. And if they wanted to match the tone of the books, they definitely did that. Uh, speaking from an animation perspective... Uh, parts of the movie were done really, really well. Some of the fight scenes looked the way you would expect them to look in a, you know, a top-notch DC animated film. But then, and this is a nitpick, and I'm going to nitpick it because I, I write about animation every week, so I kind of know a little bit about this stuff. You had all these scenes that were quality, and they looked really good. And then you had effects that I don't know if they ran out of money. I don't know if they just shortcutted it. But in the part in the story where the parademons are being you know, pulled back into the vortex, they use this copy and paste method of having them go into the vortex. So 
it wasn't like they were individually animated. Each one was pasted onto the screen, onto the computer, and just rotated, like, you know, counterclockwise, and them, you know, shrinking them as they went back. And it just, it looked really, really cheap and really lazy. And for me, somebody that loves animation, to be watching something really intense and being involved in the fight and then seeing something like that and it being noticeably different, I I did not like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other instances where that happened as well. Uh, I mean, I could go on, but I won't. I'm just going to say it, it makes me concerned for the DC movies going forward because I love the DC animated universe. I've seen a ton of their movies and they're awesome. The direction, if this is going to lead the charge going forward, it makes me concerned for other movies that will follow the DC 52. I mean, there's, there'll always be different writers and different directors and stuff. I just, this is not a good model to work off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say one more thing. Cause I almost completely skipped this part, but I do want to bring this up. Not having Aquaman in the story really bothered me. Because I, I don't know what their motivations were for doing the switch. I haven't read up on it. I don't know. But from my perspective, just as a fan and kind of knowing how the industry works, having excluding Aquaman and replacing him with Shazam and having it be the kid, the kid character, you obviously, you want that kid market. You needed that kid market to pull in you know, the Target and the Best Buy and the Walmart crowd and whatever for parents that just see the heroes on the cover and they buy the stuff for their kid. That kid is thrown into a really, really violent story with cursing and profanity and all of these things that I just don't feel are for that audience. So I feel like it's a misdirect Mm -hmm. and it's just a very strange choice. Yeah, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. I mean, what you're saying, you know, I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. um, But speaking uh, as a person who's read the source material... It's an odd. I understand why they did it, right? Because they wanted they wanted to do a, a animated movie set in the new universe, set around the fifty two stuff, and this is the first Justice League story, so it's the easiest place to start. Um, it's a really weak first story. Like that that yeah. first Justice League story is not great. Um, if you go back and listen to the podcast over the, you'll hear us talking about how the book almost lost me several times d- during during that time, and I, I think that finally. Um, to to use that, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me because you're working off, you're working behind the eight ball uh, as it already is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I I I think one one week movie. It, it, I I really liked the last one a lot, even though it was dark. I liked the Flashpoint movie a lot. I think that it it dealt, with, it dealt with some cool themes and it, and it did some interesting stuff. Again, working from a lot better source material than you're working with with Justice League. Um, the next one I've seen. You, I, I don't know if you've seen the trailer yet for Batman and Son. With, no. Or Son of Batman, which is like based on the the Grant Morrison. I've seen screenshots. Arc. I haven't okay. seen the trailer. Um, the, the the voice acting, the, the the voice of the kid of get playing Damien sounds all wrong. Oh, you know, no. it, it sounds. He, the problem is that he look. He's he's supposed to be like an eight year old, but he sounds like a little eight year old kid. Very high pitched like voice. Very yeah. kind of uh, you know kind of shrill. And to me, like if you're gonna do that character, who's already already is obnoxious and yeah. and full of himself and a, and a real big brat you've got to give him a voice that kind of befits that a little bit more than something so yeah i mean we've had kid robins before yeah that have been you know taken seriously and yeah. stuff like that yeah i mean i just think it, I, I think it, it's lacking it, need, it needs kind of that um like a snootier voice you know like a like almost like a royal 
voice to it. Stewie. Yeah. 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 Well, not, maybe not that, <laughs> not much, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't, I do not know. I'm hopefully, hopefully they're doing this Batman and that will get things back on track. Yeah. There is some seed sown here because Wonder Woman spends a lot of time mooning over Superman. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And it doesn't, it just, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, he says to her after she helps save Air Force One, oh, you're so strong. And she googly eyes him, I know. <laughs> and I she makes a this. big speech at the end. I, you know, I've never met anyone like you, God or mortal. Oh, please. <laughs> but those are preferable too. I should, I should get Steve to do the line about, <laughs> you're a whore. <laughs> there are people protesting her. She goes to the White House, and a guy says, "Go ahead, go ahead." You're a whore. Uh, she she com- Wonder Woman complains, wraps him in the magic lasso, and getting him to tell. And he now uses a term that isn't used in psychology anymore because it 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 implies deviism, deviantism. Then to go forward with what I'm now going to say, Wonder Woman would not then do what she does to get a cheap laugh. She would be supportive. His line is, uh, uh, I, I really like your outfit. I cross-dress as Wonder Woman, and it makes me feel strong. And then the crowd laughs, and she kind of giggles and lets him go, as opposed to, first of all, cross-dress isn't used anymore. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So forgetting that, even if she does that, wouldn't a great moment have been supportive? I, I feel you, sister, or mm. something that would have then diffused the crowd. They're not laughing at him. He feels better. She acts like, well, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of turning it into a, a cheap laugh. Yeah. For who in the audience? What, that's another word that should have been on my other hit list over here. <laughs> well, outside, outside of this particular movie, I feel like they've completely gotten Wonder Woman wrong in New 52. I mean, there's just not Diana. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on from Justice League War. Now I have Dirty Diana stuck in my head. <laughs> uh, That's a much better one to have in your oh, head. I love that song. Uh, to, uh, to some more news in the, in the DC ah. universe. Um, so we've been hearing for probably not about four or five months now that John Romita Jr. was going to be leaving Marvel to go work at DC. Uh, uh, maybe a month or two ago, we heard that it, it was probably going to be Superman. And then we had heard that there was going to be a it was going to be a big big writer was going to be on the book with him you know that it was going to be a giant book um, there's a lot of speculation to who of who that was and we found out officially on Tuesday that that writer is Jeff Johns that's so, a big writer yeah so it's going to be a Jeff Johns John Romita Jr. Superman book they're taking over the, the Superman proper book um, adjectiveless Superman yeah. book. <laughs> um, uh, from uh, Scott Lobdell and Kenneth Rockford. I believe it's starting in May, I believe, is when they begin their run on the book. Um, Mara, uh, do you have any uh, opinion about Jeff Johns, John Romita Jr., a Superman book? Uh, well, I was actually looking at some of the, the Superman artwork that he's done, and I don't know, it just doesn't sit comfortably with me because I keep wanting to see Captain America in it. <laughs> it just it doesn't seem right. Uh, of but then again, like I've been really used to him drawing the Avengers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just one of those things that I probably won't read it still. Um, not that I don't like Jeff Johns or John Romita Jr. Just, you know, Superman, ha- D- DC New 52 in general has not been my my cup of tea. So, I mean, it's not it's not enough to bring me, who's already reading comics, to this book. Gotcha. Um, Steve, what about you? Uh, I'm half and half. I am excited because it's Jeff Johns. 
And I kind of run hot and cold with John Romita Jr. I just I've seen enough of his work to feel like I I get a mixed bag of feelings from him uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I have I've seen the one image of his Superman. Yeah, and it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. It looked cool. Uh, but if anything's going to pull me into that book and I, I definitely will give it a number one, it's going to be Jeff Johns. I just, I've enjoyed, you know, if, if he's going to do what he did with Green Lantern mm-hmm. with Superman, like if that's the plan, then I would definitely roll with that and I would check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, what about you? I would hope he'd even go further and do more Aquaman mm-hmm. in that he needs to reestablish the entire mythology in a way. Right. To bring Superman back to the prominence. And he's the guy to do that. Is John Romita? I'm not so sure. Maybe his dad could. Mm-hmm. But I agree with Mara. I, I didn't like his Captain America, but I looked at that Superman image and all I, could, I was willing to draw the little wings in and put an A on his head. <laughs> it just, it, he was really great at, to me, ground level stuff. Daredevil, did, did some Spidey, did some X Men. Once big action began, he's he's kind of static and kind of, I know it's a 2D medium, but kind of 2D as opposed to Kirby or Byrne or somebody who's bursting through the panels. He's very side to side. He's a scrolling side-scrolling video game. <laughs> like how I threw that in, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even know I knew that. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 I'm sorry. No, it's perfect. But his, his art is very flat to me. Mm, it's right. very well done. In certain contexts, I don't think the context is, context is Superman. I think there are a lot of other people that, that I'd have picked first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try one to see where Jeff Johns wants to go. But I, as as with Mara, I'm not big on the new 52, but he might be the person who brings Superman back to being a hero. Mm-hmm. Greg Pak's action is, was very it's, good it's that great. you showed me. So Yeah, Greg Pak's yes. action is, has been fantastic. And it, it has seemed that, I mean, obviously this, the, the Snyder Unchained is ending um, and it's it really kind of going to coincide with, I think, them taking this book and starting it up uh, again. Um, I'm excited about it. Look, I love Jeff Johns. I think that he uh, does great, great work, and, and he knows how to write superheroes w- with the best of them, obviously. I'm a, I feel the same way about John Romero Jr. that everybody else does. I, I, you know, I was not reading comics when he was kind of in his heyday, and so I have no I, – I don't have that base with him, mm-hmm. you know? Um so all I can go off is the work that I have seen before, which, you know, obviously is the Captain America stuff, which I liked better than the stuff he did in Avengers versus X-Men, but I also, it's not something I loved, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, it doesn't stand out to me. Uh, the only reason that I do not feel extremely excited about this is because this is not Jeff John's first time writing the character of Superman. He had a couple year long run on the character um, back before, I think, I don't know exactly the timing of it, but it was when... He did Secret Origin, and he did Brainiac storyline. He did a lot of good storylines, and, and I've read some of them, and, and they're great. Um, so this is kind of him going back to a character that, that he has already written. Um, maybe if he can do what he did with, it, with Aquaman, then I, I, will, I will be engaged with it the, the same way. Uh, but unlike with Aquaman or Green Lantern, I feel like it isn't Jeff Johns when he's at his best. I, I, maybe, maybe this is. Maybe it's because Superman is kind of... I, I feel like he's gotten better on course this year with the Greg Pak stuff and the Scott Snyder stuff, but mm-hmm. he's obviously been, um, I mean, he's, I feel like uh, even though he's kind of like the Mickey Mouse of DC Comics, he, he has great. like, a, he has a problem being a character that people really actually care about from moment to moment in the books that he's being published in, at least in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years or whatever Since it was. Wade, probably? Maybe, maybe, yeah. So 
I, I think that if Johns can make him vital, like he's made Aquaman vital, that will be fantastic. But I always think Jeff Johns is best when he's dealing with characters who are kind of the runts of the litter. You know, you give him someone like uh, a, a Green Lantern who wasn't a very popular book when he took it over and he made the most popular book in the company. You give him a hero like Aquaman who everybody laughs at and all of a sudden he becomes one of the favorite heroes in their entire lineup. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's where he's best at. Look at Forever Evil. Forever Evil goes, I'm going to kill all the biggest characters or get at least kick them out of the, the picture for a little while. I'm going to write all of these villains and weird characters and it's been fantastic. So I feel like, yeah, definitely. I feel like him doing Superman, it could be great, but that's not what excites me about Jeff Johns. Him doing Superman and Batman and characters like that, that doesn't excite me. It, what excites me is to see him do characters that you don't know a ton about or who've gotten the short shrift for a very long time or have you. And maybe in a way, Superman is that person. So maybe he'll do what he did for it. But well, we'll uh, see. I think what's interesting, back. Yeah. Well, I like it. <laughs> Superman has been so devalued to the audience, not yeah. for the company and mm-hmm. you know, how many underoos they sell or coloring books. But since people don't want to read it, Mm-hmm. Maybe this does give him that chance to play with him as if he's a B-level character, ramp up his supporting kids, show us more Lois and Jimmy and Perry and all the rest and Star Labs and come yeah. at it from a different He's going to give angle. him a beard. We're going to no, start we'll off him- with uh, <laughs> Gordon's Fisherman Superman. Right. No, no, give him the Richard Lewis hair. We'll yeah. give him the long hair as he came back the from mullet. the dead with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Give him the mullet. <laughs> Mara, was there anything else you wanted to say? I thought I heard you trying to chime in there. No, I'm just laughing. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I, I wrote on Twitter, I said, you know, this is a new team. What do you guys think? Um, uh, at dead underscore Fett says, uh, might, might get me to read the series. Never like Superman, but with John's writing, it, it may change my view. Uh, John Romita Jr. is 50-50 for me. Um, Hugh Perry says, uh, which is H underscore pause, says, Jeff John's blows a little hot and cold for me. Prepare to check it, check it, uh, check it out though. Um, not a fan of Romita's art, to be honest. Um, Oops. Justin Townsend uh, at Jor Oak sorry, says, count me in. That's how much I like John's work. John Romita Jr., hmm, not so much. Still, I'll grab it. Um, at Johnny Mac 8 says, look at what Jeff Johns did with Green Lantern. Now they g- have given him Superman. I can't freaking wait to see what he does. Nice. Um, at Superbad Larry says, yes, I've never seen him do soups. They got to get a good bright colorist, though. The colors have ruined the last John Romita Jr. books for me. Um, good point. And at the Arctic Beast says, I really enjoyed John's previous work on Superman. I'm a fan of John Romita Jr. Uh, do we know what month they start? We said it's, I believe it's going to be April um, or May. Just checked it out on the site. I heard great. Oh, sorry. That's, that's another, that's another tweet from him. That's about mm. something else. Um, so that is, uh, th- that's what our fans have to say about uh, the announcement of the new Superman team. You can get in touch with us just like they did at Talking Comics on twitter um so let's move away from some news and let's go into some books oh it's not like we were going to sign off the week no no no, we're not <laughs> signing off if you guys just so you guys know uh listening out there right now like you guys didn't talk about the biggest news of the week um all the the the, the giant superman casting is g- going to get folded into our topic which is we're going to talk about the casting what we think of it and we're also going to kind of talk about over the last couple of months i mean it's always happened but i feel like it's coming to really sharp relief especially with this particular movie superman and batman this giant outcry and this huge reaction every time a name is floated for a part. And I kind of want to talk about why we get so passionate about it. You know, what's wrapped up in it. Is it good to be that passionate? Is it bad? You know, what, what, what have you? So we're going to have a big discussion about that as our topic. So don't worry. We haven't forgotten that news. We will 
we will get to it. I do want to see a giant Superman movie. Yes. <laughs> like 30 feet tall. Yeah, like a Godzilla-sized Superman. Exactly. Yeah. You could fight in Pacific Rim suits and <laughs> yeah. stuff. I see that. That would, that would be awesome. Be there instantly. Um, I bet there's fanfic about it, though. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Uh, so let's, uh, let's move on to our books of the week. Mara, I want to start with you because you've done something a little interesting. You, you, you've, you've changed the way you, you buy comics. Yes. Uh, we talked about this briefly on comics and coffee one morning. Uh, my husband and I buy a lot of comics. And I know, like, sounds like it's not that big a deal. But it usually in, I feel like if you're in a relationship, it's usually one person who's really into comics and not both people. Um, unfortunately for us, it's both of us. And <laughs> yes, for the longest great. time, neither one of us were willing to give any room on our pull list. Um, so we had, like... We're, we're spending way too much money at the comic book store week to week. And we tried cutting it down and it wasn't working. And finally, we both said, look, let's trade weight. You know, it mm-hmm. was it was a very hard decision to make <laughs> <laughs> um, for for people like me who are really impatient. Um, so we're we're trade waiting and looking to buy another bookcase because we've already bought way too many trades. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, it's not that bad now. Uh, we have friends that have digital copies of a lot of the Marvel books that come out. So we're still able to, um, at least read week to week and then buy it as it gets collected. Um, I still get review copies from a lot of the, the indie publishers. So it's not like I'm not reading anything (laughs) and just waiting, but it's just, it's just hard, really hard. (laughs) It's, it's not for everyone, but. Well, being oh, no. that as it may, what what books have you? What you, the books you're going to talk about are two collected volumes, right? Right, right. Um, the eighth volume of Unwritten came out, um, Orpheus and the Underworlds, and uh, the fourth volume of Happy Marriage came out uh, Tuesday, February fourth. Um, one's actually a shoujo. So, as far as uh, the Unwritten one, wait, I really wait, enjoyed. Wait, 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 one second, one second, you. one second, one second. What one's actually a what? A shoujo manga. Okay, what's a shoujo manga? Um, in Japan, uh, comics are really, really popular. Popular enough that they have entire genres that are dedicated to female readers. Okay. And sounds pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so they have like a shonen manga, which is like boys manga, which is the action, a lot of the, shoujo. you know, samurai fantasy stuff, just really boy kind of stuff and then the shoujo manga is where you're going to get a lot more um fantasy oriented manga magical girl uh drama school um relationship stuff and happy marriage falls into that shoujo category where it's um a little bit of office romance drama marriage scenario so that's pretty cool. cool Sounds hot. I just got an education right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Show it, it's, it's really good. Um, Viz Media is, has been putting out English translations of it recently. Like I said, the fourth one just came out. And basically the premise is this 22-year-old office worker um, has been asked by the chairman of her company to marry his grandson, who's the president. And in return for marrying the president of the company, he and his family will help her family get out of debt and he will be promoting oh. his grandson further up in the company. This doesn't sound reason, good right away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the reason why the chairman does that is because he kind of had like a, a fling with this woman's grandmother 
Like he really loved her <laughs> and, and lost her. So he wanted wow. to repay that family and honor her or whatever. So it was like these two strangers who suddenly are married. One of them's like never dated anyone before. The other one's just cold hearted president dude. And it's just kind of relationship drama and learning to love someone else. Oh, sounds like days of our lives. <laughs> a little bit. It's very, very dramatic. <laughs> Real life Lots tends of, to be that way. So that's good. Yeah, it sounds like a couple of animes that I've seen as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's basically what I've been reading. And I've looked at my, my pool list for this week. And um, outside of uh, Ms. Marvel, really not picking up any trades this week either. I'm still waiting. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a question for Mara, actually. Mm-hmm. What is it about manga that you're that draws you into it? Like you read both. I've never read uh, a manga. I've seen a lot of anime, but I've never actually mm-hmm. picked up a manga. What made you like try that that form of book? Honestly, I want to say it started with Pokemon in like fifth grade nice. for me. Um, it was just that anime style and watching a lot of that and then Digimon and Sailor Moon and then realizing that there were books with it too. And just getting into these books and then feeling these nuances between, you know, what's written with boys in mind and what's written with girls in mind and what's, you know, they have them specifically for adult women too. Mm-hmm. Um, Does that it? There was just, hmm? No, I'm sorry, go on. I was just going to say like, there's just so, there's something for everyone in that in that genre, right? Or in that medium, as as far as like anything you're interested in, there's mm-hmm. a manga for it. Like there was one about tennis, about this this boy who, you know, he might be like a junior high school playing on a varsity tennis team, and he's awesome. And it's all about sports drama and stuff like that. <laughs> sports drama. Like, yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like instead of it being a comic book medium, it is actually more a publishing regular book, regular fiction. It right. just happens to have pictures. So all the genres that we take for granted as they're on the bookshelf in the fiction department are mm-hmm. now being mm-hmm. presented to folks with illustrations as well. That's a great way to get to regular readers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one more question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm curious, though. Does it... What do you think about the idea of them separating the the? You said there was shonen and shojo, right? Okay. Yeah. Does it? How do you feel about them separating out the stories and deciding what's more like what's better for boys versus what's better for girls? Are there female samurai stories as well? Uh, there are. I mean, I don't know specifically of any, but there are stories. Like, for instance, um, Full Metal Alchemist which yeah. is a very popular anime series Love it. is shonen and that it has a lot of that, the action stuff in it, but it was written by a female author and has really strong female characters. Oh, I did not know that. So, I mean, Ooh. it's not, it's just kind of like a, what, what are the, some of the main themes in it? I mean, if it has a lot of love and drama, it's obviously going to be more shoujo, but Roroni Kenshin has some of that, the, the love story in it and it's still classified as shonen. Love Roroni uh, Kenshin too. Yeah, it's it's for me. It's really, um, I I kind of like it. You know, it just helps me when I'm looking. You know, through manga, help helps me figure out like, well, I'm in the mood for something that has a lot of stuff blowing up. Hmm. You know, the more blood, the better. <laughs> so I know exactly <laughs> where to go for that. Or you know, there's something like you know, I want I want lots of like smutty stuff in my manga. I know where to go for that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just nice having that, knowing that it's not 
just going to be superhero stories or just going to be yeah. really heavy, independent stories. It's I can get as much fluff as I want and I can get much drama and as much action as I want if I know where to look for it. Yeah, and it for sounds... someone who's who's not um, at least familiar with the medium, it can be really overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that everything that I've wanted to pick up, like I wanted to get Gantz and Gantz's however many volumes, eight, nine volumes. And they're, you know, they're pricey. They're $12.99, $14.99 a pop. And right. I just, I, it's not that I'm afraid to read them, the format. I'm totally fine with that. I just don't, I've never imagined myself being able to, to walk away from the animated versions of those stories to see them on like a comic book page. I don't know that it's going to mm-hmm. have the same impact for me. Right. So. I went I went from watching Roroni Kenshin to yeah. reading it. So I, I went from animated to um manga and okay. I felt that it didn't really hinder that right. it was totally different story and it felt different That's in the cool. way it was presented. So All right. Well, and maybe same thing uh, for Full Metal Alchemist. Maybe as part of a a homework assignment, I will purchase a volume 1 of a manga and uh let you know what I think. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited for you. All right, we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> Namara, on that purchasing front, how difficult is it to find a place to purchase? Do your local stores have, or are you doing this online? How do you acquire these volumes? Um, sometimes I get them through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, my comic book shop, I mean, you can order them through previews, like some okay. of the, the bigger titles, like Biz and Kodansha and Yen Press. You can order new volumes. Um, sometimes I buy them used. A lot of times I get them from my library. Like I just go and check them out from the library. Oh, they, there is uh, like fan translated scans online hmm. where the manga will be released a long time ago in Japan and in Japanese. And these people who have access to it, take it, scan it, and then translate it and then put them up on sites for free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so sketchy. And I always feel bad if I'm reading them because obviously no, the author isn't getting paid for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the biggest things about manga is that, you know, the release time in Japan versus America is so different. Like I know all of happy marriage, the fourth volume that just came out, the whole thing's done in Japan already. Like all nine or 10 volumes are published. Ouch. Wow. Yeah. And I can literally just look up, you know, free happy marriage manga and find scans for the entire thing. Fan translated. And read it all there. And it's just, you know, it's just one of those struggles that I think the industry is facing in America is that people can go online and read them for free. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. Very, very cool. I know nothing about manga at all. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all very fascinating to me to, to, to hear about it. Um, well, I kind of cut you off when you, I think you were going to talk about The Unwritten first, and then I kind of segued you into talking about... Oh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, the the manga, uh, so this was volume eight uh, of yes. The Unwritten. Now, is this the, does this lead up, because I know they've just, they've just kind of relaunched it, um, and now it's The Unwritten Apocalypse or whatever it is that, that's happening now as far as single issues go. Is this the lead up to the end of the initial run of Unwritten? Uh, almost. This will actually lead up to the fables crossover gotcha okay so the very end of this volume sets you up right for meeting the witches and going into that so it's getting close um i think after that should be the the apocalypse part but the hardest part about waiting on unwritten is that it's 
besides Fables, one of the longest running Vertigo titles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who firmly believes that you vote with your dollar. And there's always this, 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 this guilt if I don't buy the single issues of it. Like, they're just going to cancel if I don't buy one. They're just going to cancel if I don't buy the single issue. <laughs> I'm not going to get the trade in time because they're going to cancel it before I get there. <laughs> so, right, and then they won't, of, they won't make the trade because you didn't buy the single issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we actually had a listener write in um, <laughs> last week, and we talked. He was asking about books that were like fables to read, and, and we brought up uh, uh, um, the unwritten as a book from to read. Even though I, I think no, I've only read the first volume, I think that's kind of where anybody. That's the, the extent of any reading on the podcast uh, is, is the first volume. If you were a fan of fables, Mara, is it a book that you should be picking up? Absolutely, um, just because it has some of that longevity. Fables. I think they're in 50 plus issues now, I'm pretty sure. But it still incorporates that the knowledge of something that's outside of the comic. Like you have to know a little bit about classic literature to fully enjoy the unwritten. Um, like in this latest volume, the, the Bennett sisters from Pride and Prejudice show up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's really twisted the way they're presented, like in a creepy awesome way so you, you see you see a lot of things like that so it's it's always handy to have that that contrast very cool but yeah very, very it's for cool. intellectuals yes <laughs> for the intellectually modest apparently also yes. <laughs> as long as you're very modest about your intellectualism um all right awesome is that all you want to talk about mara uh yeah i'm actually done okay that was good bob what do you got for us well, I'm going to start with in it this is official I guess Inhumanity 2 which was going to be Inhumanity 1 Medusa yeah. but is now the last Matt Fraction in human thing because mm. we're moving to Charles Soul with the next one. It's a pretty slight story. It's well told. It's sort of a placeholder more than anything else. Mm. A lot of Medusa and things are bad and we talk to Cap two different artists and the art changes dramatically in the middle and it is really pretty jarring from a very serious drawing style to very cartoony i like both of them combined into one right this is not peanut butter and chocolate together to make something good this is more like uh beets and chocolate sauce (laughs) and it just doesn't work for me i don't know enough i'm gonna stick around for inhuman Mm. I'm a little put off by the whole thing because nothing sort of happened. And that's a shame because I love Medusa. She doesn't do very much here. Mm. Yeah, she, that was, she, that was she my mo- problem with She it. mopes a lot. Right. Eh. Yeah, I, I hate to use this word again, but it did. It felt very unbalanced. And the, a lot of the, the steam for the book to even come out was taken away from you know news and mm-hmm. time and weird scheduling changes and yeah the change in artwork i didn't i i really really liked uh the first artist who was uh, i believe nick bradshaw with right. uh todd oh boy <laughs> no i think todd nock is Nock's. the second the second half oh really yeah i think nick bradshaw inks himself here oh okay yeah there you go mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know it some really nice panels and stuff, but I I felt it doesn't really serve to get me pumped up for Inhuman. So yeah. yeah, we're in three or four different settings again. There are cocoons all over the place, and Adelon is still laying in the harbor. And let's go fix this. Well, go fix it. You're the event. It's been sitting there for months now. Go pull right. it out of the water and get it over with. Anyway, so that was not wonderful. <laughs> 
Avengers Assemble 23, however, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Warren Ellis, and Matteo Buffani. <laughs> I'm getting better at that. It's a shame it's canceled. I'm finally getting his name right. Buffani. I mean, Buffani. <laughs> Yay. Uh, lots of great, sp- the new Spider-Girl, Anya Corazon, she has a new accessory that Steve... <laughs> I just love, love her what you get here. Design. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I have yeah. not. Well, it's, it's like the the cloak. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's just I did see that. So good. Yeah. She has. I just love oh, it when it's very Wolverine cool. takes young women under his wing. Yeah. Yes. I, cool. It, is he the guy you want teaching you? Really? <laughs> Especially in this issue, where look, he's his usual sort of snarky self, mm. but he's also at a certain point gets very into the. I'm the best that at what I do yeah, and yeah. what I do isn't very pretty. It's, yeah. There's a lot of that. And I think it's going to be interesting moving forward into the, there are only two more issues I think of this when she comes back and speaks to Jessica and to Carol about, well, what's, <laughs> what's he teaching me? And mm. you're, you're telling me something different. She's going to have to judge what, to what point she needs to go to be a superheroine. And it's, it's really well done in that, She's absorbing all these messages, but she's going to get other ones. And you're going to watch a character make a decision in front of our eyes about who she'll be moving forward. And that is just really, really well done. I was mm-hmm. really very thrilled with this. This whole Avengers Assemble, uh, as, as Kelly Sue put it on, I think it was on her Tumblr page, well, it's, it's not cancer, really. It's mandate is over, mm. which was to transition people from the movie Avengers to the comic book Avengers, and it has always replicated that tone, which has been really right. charming. In the midst of all this action stuff, there's still humor, and there's breakfast and coffee and all that kind of <laughs> stuff again. And Anya seems like a real teenage girl, and yeah. that I was really—it's just charming. Mm. I want to ask about about this specifically because I know she's been around for a while now, mm-hmm. I mean, for a couple issues at least, right? Yep. Um, how I know you're a big fan of the the May Parker the, the, one. the original Spider Girl. Uh, what do you think about this new Spider Girl? Well, she's been around a long time, a few mm. years back, and okay. then just right into this. It was always a great little ad. It's another sort of New York City character, wonderfully done. Never tried to be mm. May. They never made those connections. She's just another one of these, as we saw the team, the Spider Ladies team, right? A couple of goes where it's, it's the widow Jessica and her. It's it's really well done and. That other Spider Girl's not coming back. Mm-hmm. But right. I have all my old issues to read. Right. But <laughs> I did could, you ever I, read the Paul Tobin Spider Girl series? No. That's with this character. Yes. No. No, I haven't. But since I love Paul a, Tobin, I have to. I'm writing that down. I have that, Bob. You could borrow it. Oh, thank you so much. No problem. It's not very long, but it's. I mean, it introduces the character, kind of gives her a little bit of background, and you know, she's a teenager in New York, and that's basically the premise of the book. That's good stuff. Now, did you read this Avengers Assemble, Mara? Yes. And? Yes, I did. I I really wish there's a Spider-Ladies series. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew I wanted it so bad until I saw it. <laughs> um, but I agree with you as far as, like, um, the Avengers Assemble mandate being over. And, you know, you kind of see that with the Black Widow miniseries, kind of continuing that. Mm. read in my ledger thing that they're pulling from the Avengers movies mm. that was in Avengers Assemble as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm sad to see it go, but I'm glad it's leaving on this kind of, this note where it's kind of bringing back this character into our universe. Yeah. yeah. I want a, uh, the Spider Girls comic, like a la Charlie's Angels. <laughs> How awesome would yeah. that be? <laughs> yeah. 
That'd See? be awesome. <laughs> I want them to be roommates too. Yeah. I want, I want it all. <laughs> <laughs> I want it all. That's great. Need to get on the uh, write an email, Mara. Yeah. Send it to the right people. Right. Could could this be another Hawkeye? You know, the spider ladies mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> going out on a mission. <laughs> Uh, to the other side of female characters that was not so good this week, it is my officially last issue of World's Finest. Okay. It is annual number one. It's a first contact prelude. Okay. Which is now part of the whole crossing over with, is it Batman, Superman, or Superman, Batman? Superman, Batman. Okay. I feel like is, that's what it is. What we have here are the, the lost daughters of Earth 2, and it's an early adventure of theirs where... Huntress is Robin, and Power Girl is Supergirl. The art is by, um, I'm going to try to do this properly, Diogenes Nieves. Yes, okay. Wow. And you got that right. It is is better than some of the art from before, but again, here on the cover, we have characters, including a Wonder Woman person, (laughs) uh, leading with their chests. And we have many shots of uh, the phrase in Yiddish is tukas, we have lots of tukas and lots of cleavage and lots of ridiculous poses. And this, the shame of it is, as usual with this book, Paul Lovitz's story is really nice, though he does uh, turn to the dark side here and there. <laughs> it, it gets very violent because there's a big fight. You're dealing with three separate stories here. Uh, Helen is out with her father, Batman, for the first time. She's been trained by her mom, who's Catwoman, to do this, and they back and forth. We get Kara, who goes uh, in the second story out on a date, finds some terrorist or, uh, organization blowing up the building she's in. The, the guy she's flirting with, which seems some little odd, which is one of those dark moments I speak of. It, it, but then it's followed by this lovely moment of this fella she's flirting with trying to save her. And mm-hmm. she... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, she's still, she's the secret weapon. She's the Supergirl of before action 235. I'm blowing that number completely. I should remember <laughs> that like it's my name. Anyway, uh, and, and the, then she goes back and can't, you know, he's, he's dead. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. No, no, one, no one should read this anyway. But uh, And it all comes together and then she, they can track down the terrorists and discover someone you think is Wonder Woman. Turns out it's Wonder Woman's daughter, Fury, which is a whole... Roy Thomas All Star Squadron thing, big fighting, lots of fighting, lots of bad words, <laughs> and it's just so bad. This series started so so wonderfully mm-hmm. with McGuire and uh, Kevin McGuire and George Perez, and now I'm you know crossovers are coming. I'm going. Uh, sorry, sorry DC, you, you had me for seventeen issues or whatever this was, but yeah. You, you you rang down my curtain with the, this <laughs> art that it doesn't serve the story well. It doesn't serve these characters well, particularly the level they started. If the book started this way, someone like me who was following these characters all the way back wouldn't have started. Mm-hmm. You teased me with classic artists and a beautiful <laughs> old-fashioned Bronze Age story of two girls super-powered with responsibilities who did not spend every moment thinking about boys and fashion and had real conversations and a genuine real friendship Mm -hmm. in some ways for me Mm -hmm. i guess it replaced in my head birds of prey Mm -hmm. and that you had really powerful female characters doing really neat things in a really classic way and it's done 
So Requiem for World's Finest, and you lost me on the crossovers and everything else. Sorry, there goes my money. Uh, speaking of Kevin Maguire, did you see the? It was this it wasn't this one's the one before Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, it was his issue of Guardians of the Galaxy. I think the last one it was very very nice. <laughs> he's oh, he's yeah. always been great. Yeah. Do you ever read his old the old Justice Leagues with no. Giffen? You no. should. They're yeah. hysterical. I think they I have are. a couple of them. Um, I, I want to say that a lot of the arguments I heard for Fearless Defenders was the story was good, but the art was a little too much button boobs. And I think that if you have a comic book full of women, that's something you should do everything you can to avoid, mm-hmm. especially on the cover. <laughs> there were uh, some shots in Fearless Defenders that they could have done without that I were definitely put in there as fan service. Mm-hmm. It was the height of tastefulness compared to this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, where there are shots that are obviously drawn in such a way so that Supergirl's flying sort of left to right in the panel, but the shot is she's laid out in such a way that she's sort of laying sideways in the panel, and the shot is down her nose, across her chest, into her splayed legs in the panel. Ooh, classy. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the, it just d- doesn't need to be there. So uh, the problem with Freelance Defenders more than anything else was Valkyrie's outfit until they changed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you had quite a lot of breastplates. Right, yes, yeah. Actually, yes. breast bowls, I would <laughs> suppose, would be more <laughs> properly used. Uh, anyway, moving on to, a, to my actual book of the week. And speaking of warrior women, it's Little Sonia. <laughs> it's my book of the week. I unfortunately couldn't get the Agnes Garboska subscription variant one in a million cover. <laughs> but what I do have is an Art Balthazar cover that is absolutely... I love that cover. ...completely wonderful. She's Sonia. Despite this being Little Sonia and it, it being this lovely book, it's written by Jim Zub and the interior art by Joel Carroll. And certainly it's, it's for kids. And there's even a little board game in the center. You can bring your own, bring your own die... And you can actually play a board game uh-huh, and cool. go on a quest with Sonia. She's completely in character. Mm-hmm. This is a, a completely indomitable Sonia. Does she drink juice boxes? <laughs> she, she, there is fruit juice involved. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil the story beyond that. There More is a, fruit juice. Right. The other cover did show the dragon. See, there's a dragon at the heart of this. A dragon, there's another dragon in comics this week. Yeah, that was a, awesome. a dragon is stealing all sorts of red stuff. <laughs> apples and strawberries and crops and kids with red hair. So Sonia sets herself up to be captured by the dragon. And he says to her, aren't you delightfully red? Well, I, yeah. Oh, I'm seeing red. All right. The red rage of war. <laughs> it's, she's Sonia. And she goes, despite falling asleep slightly, she, hi-ya, she, she comes at the dragon, swords flaming and so on and so forth. She's very smart. She figures a way out of this whole problem, saves everybody. And it is just, the only problem is you might give this to a little person who'd get a whole lot out of it who might want to read Real Sonia. (laughs) And that could be a problem when she's drinking and hacking off heads and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it. (laughs) If they did more of these, this is just a one shot. This is just a great book. She's, again, indomitable. She doesn't quit. She's brave and smart and funny. You know, and she's going to, as she describes it, kick your butt, she says to the dragon. Just amazing. And I, I haven't read any of the other little ones, uh-huh. but I think I do want to now just pick a few of these up just mm. to say I have them to have the, the set. Because the little vampirella I saw a, l- a little of, yeah. <laughs> pun not intended, and it was really cute. 
the little Battlestar Galactica cover looked great. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> so I, kudos to Dynamite. They they do some missteps here and again. I've talked about them repeatedly, but <laughs> this whole line of stuff, if they're all like this, this is just amazing. All so right. little Sonya. Cool. That's awesome. It's good to know oh. that that stuff's out there. Awesome. Uh, really, really cool. Steve, what do you got for us? Well, <laughs> speaking of dragons. Oh. People can't see it because they're not can't see it, but Steve did a very dramatic. His mouth was not by the microphone. <laughs> and then he looked at me very dramatically and went, well. <laughs> it's a very dramatic moment. Well, you winked at me earlier, and then Bob reached over and smacked me on the shoulder. There's a, there's, there's a lot going on here tonight. Touchy feely podcast. <laughs> Uh yeah no I didn't I don't no I know why I didn't bring it with me because it was in the big pile I read uh Thor God of Thunder okay from one to seventeen all right it's a lot of Thor yeah (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) it was such uh, like an invigorating ridiculously good read I am I'm over the moon for Jason Aaron on this book I hope that he stays on the book for a long long time but getting back to the dragon stuff this past issue this uh 17 was an issue that they're they're taking like that that break issue where they just ended like a huge arc with Malakath so now they do like one little story, another little story, and then the big to-do with the Marvel Now number one rebranding is coming out and stuff like that. But what they did this week was, or this month, was they had this story about Thor uh, coming to the aid of a, of a town that they're they're freaking out because there's this drunk uh, dragon kind of like just moshing around and he's hammered and you know he doesn't mean any harm. But he's had a rough day, and he got you know drunk, and he had to land somewhere. And uh, they basically asked Thor to kick his ass, and Thor comes to blows with him. But then they realize that they have something in common: they both like to drink. Mm-hmm. So they get smashed together, and the story plays out, and then ends up you know turning turning on its end, and uh, some some pretty big emotional moves come in, and responsibilities mm-hmm. that Thor has. Uh, when you have to put friendship aside for the good of the people kind of thing. And I, it was just, it, there was, it was a lot more heart to it than I would expect mm-hmm. uh, from that kind of story with, with all the, the madness that went on. But I, I really, I love watching young Thor learn how to be Thor mm-hmm. and learn how like these stories that Jason Aaron is telling from, he's been telling his his run from three different times in Thor's life. And this one happens to deal with the younger one. And I like seeing the inexperienced Thor, you know, Milnar's nowhere to be found. He has to improvise. He has, he has a wanting to do good, but he still doesn't know how to separate like the party boy from, you know, the eventual God of thunder. Or, or you know, King of Asgard or whatever. So I've really been enjoying him, watching him like make this journey, and this issue was just awesome. So I am I I put the word out on Twitter. I said if I ever fall off of reading Thor, if I don't keep up on it, people can bash me over the head with Mildor <laughs> as, as many times as they please. Nice. Uh, I'm so glad that I caught up with it. It's awesome. Um, another thing that I got to check out is a book that Stephanie happened to talk about last week called Furious uh, from Dark Horse Comics, number one, by Brian J.L. Glass with art by Victor Santos. 
Uh, uh, if, Brian Jailglass. Yeah, Jailglass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anybody was, uh, if you guys were listening to the Talking Comics podcast last week when Stephanie talked about it, it's uh, real quick. It's a it's a book about a superhero who is not seen as the the best she can be in the eyes of her people. She very desperately wants to help, but she's just she's a little bit of a klutz. She doesn't really know her own strength, and she winds up kind of making more trouble than when things began. Um, and Stephanie talked a lot about, you know, a lot of the really great aspects of the book. But one thing that I don't remember hearing her mention that I wanted to bring up was the character itself of Furious. It's, I was really surprised. It's a very emotional book. I didn't expect to get as pulled in to her character. I thought that she would be just like a troublemaker and, you know, oh, the people don't understand her and and this and that. She's got a background and she's got a past and she's got reasons as to why she's so conflicted and and as to why she can't control herself. She hates herself, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. and that plays into a lot of her leading her double life. And she brings that anger into her crime fighting and that's where it's coming from mm-hmm. is her her hatred for for her own self and it just it lends a lot of weight to the character and to her actions and she's not just this brash person that doesn't you know know how to rein it in and instead of saving the day you're just you know racking up insurance bills and putting people in the <laughs> <Right>. hospital and <laughs> stuff so i really that was the part i mean it was fun and it was cool and it was written really well and the arts you know beautiful but that aspect of the character and that aspect of the story was what won me over in the end is like the biggest part that I took away from it. And uh, if anybody wants to check it out, you know, both Stephanie and I give it the the big thumbs up. So um, it was Furious, number one from Dark Horse Comics. Check it out. It's one of five. (laughs) So, uh, and now for the big grand finale. My book of the week is something that I uh, better I be epic, to... man. With that kind of oh yeah, yeah you took this build up. I when we went to Comic Con for the first year, so Comic Con 2012. Mm. Um, I oh, excuse me, <laughs> he's getting choked up. He's getting very emotional. <laughs> I nearly, okay. I you know, I was we were new to the whole yeah. comic book thing and interviewing people, and you know. It was a little bit easier this past year, but that first year was a little rough because you were talking to people that you really, really, like you loved their stories. And one of the big interviews for me that first year was Joe Kelly, who uh, has, he was the writer, is the writer of I Kill Giants from Image. Uh, I Kill Giants still, after over two years of doing the show, is still in my like top five, if not top three things that I've read since we started doing this. I recommend it to everybody. It's a tearjerker. It's amazing. So when I finally got to sit down with Joe, I pretty much, after we wrapped the interview, I bought everything at his table. <laughs> I bought Four Eyes. I bought a couple of his other indie stuff. And one of the things that I, I picked up was the first four issues of Bad Dog. Uh, it's uh, obviously written by Joe Kelly with art by Diego Greco. Uh, and before I get to more of the Joe Kelly aspect, the art for this book is beautiful, highly, highly detailed. I cannot remember the artist's name of the guy who does Black Sad. Okay. Um, he's got a very, mm. very complicated name. Um, it's a little reminiscent of that. Maybe not 
as majestic and not as as big as that, but definitely elements of it, uh, and definitely creates an atmosphere where you feel like you're there and you feel like you're you're you know a fly on the wall, you're a person in the crowd watching everything go on. Uh, so he gave me the first four issues, and I never. I never read it. I never got to read it. And so all of a sudden we're looking, I'm looking in previews magazine and I see that bad dog number five is coming back. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) That was, that was two years ago. So sure enough in the, in the front of issue number five, he explains that he never intended to stop making the book. The both, both of them never intended to stop making the book, but that, things you know he went to go work in animation mm-hmm. he went to go do other projects and it just fell by the wayside it was never a matter of not caring about it or wanting to finish it but when you read issues one through four and you get to the fourth one and it says part one of three and then two and three don't come out for two years Ooh. it's really easy to <laughs> yeah. fall off of a book after two years yeah, yeah. So lucky for me, I had never read one through four, and now five and six were out, and five and six wrapped up the arc, so you have one through six as one full oh. thing. Um, to give you a bit of the story, try to try to picture this if you can. It's fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but you have Hunter S. Thompson, who is a werewolf that does not change back to a human by choice. Uh, there is a severed head in the refrigerator that speaks, uh, and he pals around with this, uh, he's a, an ex preacher named Wendell, who is definitely the Dr. Gonzo of the story and they're bounty hunters. So they, they kick ass, they, they kick zombie, uh, not zombie ass, Nazi ass. I was getting them confused. (laughs) So you got, you got, uh, they're, they're taking care of Nazis, they're taking care of celebrities, just terrorists and all these all these people but the werewolf is the one that's kind of got a little bit of the moral compass but he's also the angrier of the two he's like the heavy he goes in and he slashes and he rips people's heads off and all of this stuff and the other one who's an ex-preacher who when he speaks he talks in like hymns and and bible verse Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and he's always he's preaching a lot when he speaks and the way that he speaks about the people that they're dealing with, the criminals, and just the the human element in general, you would think that he's this buttoned-down ex-preacher. He is the worst. He is the most, like, de- is debaucherous a word? Yes. yes. All right. It's a very good word. All right. I love that word. He is he is a very debaucherous, very lecherous, just, just a horrible, horrible, horrible human being who curses more than a thousand sailors. This is a, this is a this is a not for kids heavy heavy on the language book. I'm not going to lie to you. There is a lot of cursing. There's a lot of creative cursing that after reading something like I Kill Giants going over to this you're like, "Oh, Joe. I had no idea." So uh but I mean, I loved I loved the hell out of it. I read 1 through 6 all in one shot and uh they do go to Vegas. And there's this recurring thing that keeps happening that all these cases that they keep uh, keep on taking on, uh, there's a milk carton that keeps on popping up, whether it's at the convenience store, whether somebody they're in the park and somebody's drinking and the there's a little girl's picture who's constantly on this carton and the the dog, Lou, keeps ignoring it throughout the whole story and... Y- 
I'm not, you know what? I'm going to skip that part because it actually plays in really well to the story. But my only my only thing with it is, is Joe Kelly has stated in the book that he doesn't know how often it's going to come out. He said, we won't solicit it unless it's done. Unless it's in the bag, it's you know being printed. We won't put it in previews unless it's coming out. So I respect that. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. And it is finished. This arc is done, one through six, if you can find them. I tried to ask him if there was going to be a trade. He hasn't gotten back to me yet. I'm sure I'll hear from him in a mm-hmm. day or two. But, um, I mean, if you can find them and you you loved Fear and Loathing uh, or you just you like really uh, like bombastic, kind of off-the-wall, weird crap with bounty hunters and, you know, kicking Nazis' teeth in and stuff like that, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, I mean, it was my favorite book of the week. I laughed my ass off. So, uh, that was Bad Dog by Joe Kelly and, oh my God, Diego Greco? I don't That's what I said? That's what you said. I already closed the book. I don't know. (laughs) Yes. And by the way, the the artist on Black Sad is Juanjo Goranido. How the hell was I supposed to remember that? You're you're not. That's what Wikipedia is for. Thanks, internet. I just looked it up. Um, all right, cool. Uh, great stuff. So, uh. For my book of the week, uh, really quick, uh, Black Science, number three uh, from Rick Remender mm-hmm. with art by Matteo Scalera. Um, well, when we last we left our, our band of heroes, things were not going very well at all. In fact, the last time we left them in either of the last two issues, things were not going very well at all. Um, here in this issue, we, we kind of get them two sets of events para- uh, paralleled, which is one, uh, in the, the present day, we're seeing the the group trying to uh, get medicine and save uh, one of their really badly injured crew members. And the other half is a flashback to before they, they go on their trip, actually going uh-huh. right up to the point where they, they leave uh, to go on their trip. Um, and you kind of, you start to find out what the history is of, of this man who, who is our lead and, and some of the other people who fill out the cast. Um, we get a big revelation in, in this, about a relationship between the two two of the characters, um, it continues to be awesome. I, I, it's it, now that we're getting the backgrounds of the characters, it's only getting better, and the stuff that's happening in the present day, the the crazy like, you know, you start to learn that what they're doing is sort of like a parallel worlds kind of thing. The that the that the technology that they're using to jump, they're not really jumping necessarily from planet to planet, but from a different Earth to different Earth. That's sort of what you you learn in this book. Um, so this kind of weird. World War One still going on with Germans, but also with like weird space stuff and you know all those other stuff. You know it, it, that's that storyline is, is good and very tense with a lot of really good action. Um, and the other stuff has really great human interpersonal drama in it. I, I, mm. I'm loving it a lot. Steve, are you, are you still reading it? Yes. Um, I know you were you were you you liked the first issue, but you were a little bit on the fence. The second issue uh, really did it for me. Okay. Uh, a lot of a lot of what that book is for me is the art. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the art. Yeah. I would buy that book just for the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the stories it's going to places that I'm starting to get sucked in a little bit more. I don't know that I, I don't know that I, I really like anybody yet, but I like the direction that the story, I like that it's kind of always changing and they're always revealing something each issue. Sometimes you have to wait for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost, I, I hope, I mean, I know it's it's an ongoing, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. My my concern for it, for me personally, not for the series, but just for myself, if Matteo Scalera jumps off mm. 
of the book. I would like to, I would almost like to see this book be one of those things where after an arc, it takes a break like Saga and they just, they work on it and they come back and it's their project. Mm. I mean, it, ultimately that's what I would love to, for to happen for right. the book. If that doesn't happen, so be it. I have no control, <laughs> but, but um, I just, I would be, I would hope that I'm pulled into the story and into the characters enough by then that I won't even care about mm-hmm. that, and I'm just going to want more of the story. But I am really, really enjoying it. Um, after the second issue, um, I'm definitely on board for more. Awesome, awesome. A um, couple of the annuals as well. Uh, I know Bob talked about one. Uh, mm-hmm. Earth 2 annual, uh, number two, which gives the origin of this new Batman. Obviously, way back in Earth Earth 2, number one, we saw the um, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman die. Uh, and But lately in the Earth 2, there's been another Batman uh going about and we finally learn in this issue who he is uh i don't necessarily want to spoil it for anybody uh because it's a pretty cool reveal uh the story by tom taylor is great it i will say this it it is reminiscent at least the person who is batman is very reminiscent of um uh, some other work we've seen in in the recent past as far as Mm. um who batman turns out to be in this and if you look at his costume as compared to let's say another book that happened a little over three Uh, years ago you can guess who he is um but the way they tell that story is great um and tom taylor continues to add layers and do uh very very cool stuff with a book four months ago that i didn't care anything about so i I am excited to see what goes on i think another issue actually comes out uh today i believe Mm -hmm. um so i'm excited to see where it goes because it's been very, very entertaining. How's the red tornado stuff playing out? I don't um, want to spoil that for anybody in case they're just going to catch up. But it's good. I mean, we, we've we got a you know this this deals only with this flashback stuff, so we we got no more movement on on uh, that, that character. character. <laughs> but in the stuff that's been going on, it's been really good. You know, it, they've been doing a good job of mining that emotional territory of that oh, person being that character. So very, very cool. Um, Batman and Robin annual uh, number two. Uh, Pete Tomasi and art by Doug Mankey. Uh, this is really interesting because it, it's it's called Week One, and it's basically Dick Grayson's first week as Robin with oh. this new Fifty Two uh, Batman. And it begins with a scene where he's you know telling Damien. It's a flashback scene where he's telling Damien about w- what to expect and kind of Damien's complaining about Bruce and and what it's like to be his you know be his partner or, or his you know his his sidekick or what have you and. Through that story, we get a flashback uh, to w- w- what happened when they first met up, and it was it was really fun to see something we have never seen in, in this kind of new universe, which is Dick Grayson as as Robin, um, and, and see that particular attitude and that particular way of being in 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 a modern context was very very cool. Did you read it, Steve? No, I just I was just pawing through your copy of Earth Two yeah. to find out who it was. And I might have to pick that up. I like that. Yeah. I like that that twist. It's cool. Yeah, it's good. How old is Dick as Robin? I think Here, he's like 16 or something like that. Even as Robin. Even as Robin. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's how how they're uh, how they're positing it, you know, because he's like 21 now, whatever. It's funny. That's the one book I didn't get to this week. The only one. Batman and Robin? Yeah. It was it was very good. You know, it, it it was nice for it to be Batman and Robin again. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, the the... The kind of Batman and nature of it has been has been fun, but it's made the book much more disposable to me. Yeah. Um, if I don't like that particular character, or I don't really care about what storyline they're hitting, I can kind of decide not to pick it up. Did you read the Two Face? I read the first 
two issues of it and it just did not really grab me i, it, I didn't love it okay and it was that was more because the stuff before it had kind of run its course for me right all of the the grief issues i feel like it started to repeat themselves yeah well i mean it, it definitely lost some of its spark once you know damien was was gone because that's what the book was and that's why you went to that book yeah you know because now it's now it's just i mean it's a great writer mm. but it's just, now it's just batman stories yeah which we get plenty yeah, of exactly. already. Is it brave and bold? Sort of, it's a team up. Yes, that's sort of what it is. And and th- there are good issues of it. And there's been very very good stuff that's happened in them. Mm-hmm. Just for me, it become it's become a less necessary book to pick up because of that. Sure. Which is how I feel about most team up books, where they're just I'll come in and pick up an issue if I like who they're teaming up with, and if I don't, then I just skip it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, it was a book that I didn't ever want to skip. So there's that. Um, my book of the week though is uh, Serenity. Uh, Leaves on the Wind, number one. Ooh, um, I'm interested to hear about this. From Zach Whedon, um, an art by uh, Georges Gianti. I don't know how to say that last name. Gianti? Georges Gianti. Georges Gianti. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stop. I'm uh, close. Jante. So th- there, I, I was on the fence about picking it up because I love Joss Whedon. I love Serenity. I, 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 I'm a huge fan of that universe. Um but the comic book extensions of the universe, I haven't always really taken to for, for whatever reason, no matter what their quality. Uh, I asked Rob if I should get it, and he said absolutely. So I, I picked it up. He also handed me the free comic book day issue that had come out, I think, last free comic book day. That it, it You don't need to have read it, but it definitely enhances some of the stuff that's happening mm-hmm. here. This takes place some amount of time after the events of the movie. Okay, um, I was going to ask. The, the, those... Play here. Yes. Okay. This, really? Yes. This takes place after the movie's over. Basically, you know, Mal and the gang are on the run. They're they're wanted by, you know, basically every um, yeah. thing in the world. Um, and and there's this thing playing around across the galaxy, which is at the if you've seen the movie, at the end of the movie, basically he broadcasts to the world this huge cover up that the the government has been, has been perpetrating. Um in an effort to, you know, win one for his side, the, the brown coat side, mm-hmm. and, you know, just do what is right, because that's what, that's what Mal, that's what Mal yep. does. Um, in, in doing so, he, it, it's not a black or white situation, you know, it's, it's been released and people have seen it, but there's contingent people who do believe it, who don't believe it, there's, you know, the kind of like Fox News-ish, you know, group of people who, who, who look to discredit all this information for getting out, there's the people who, who will believe it till, till they die, and somewhere in the middle, you have, you know, Mal and, and the the the, uh, the the crew who just want to do what they've always done, which is go out and make money and save themselves, and hopefully, hopefully, it leads to them being able to retake and start this revolution all over again. Um, there's a lot of great character stuff here. Zach Whedon does a really good job of embodying the voices. When you start reading it, you hear the voices and the cadence of those voices immediately. Um, there's some really great uh, river stuff here. Uh, you know, after the events of the show and of the movie, she has become more normal than she had been before. You know, she, she's she's talking in a more normal way, as, as normal as Summer Glau can ever speak yeah. in anything that she's ever been in, because it still very much feels like her when you're when you're reading the book. You hear her voice. Mm. Um, there, there's great stuff with Zoe, uh, which is also very sad stuff sure. because of what happens at the end of Serenity, um, and that that scene is kind of replayed 
here and, mm. and is part of mm. kind of her ongoing struggles. You know, there's a really, she's pregnant. So there's a scene where she's laying in bed pregnant and, you know, she's kind of crying because she's alone. Uh. Uh, really great character stuff. Uh, you get payoffs from the movie universe. You get to see people together who you, you hope to be together. Um, it, it seems like, I, I think it's a, it's definitely a limited series. I'm not sure how many issues it is, but it was a really great extension of the universe and something that I'm very, very excited to, to keep to keep reading. That sounds awesome. I didn't yeah. know that it was a continuation yeah. of all that. Because I, I love loved Serenity. Yeah. And Firefly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, awesome. Great. Now I have two things to add to my list. <laughs> Art looks very nice, too. It seems the likenesses are very, very well done. And that, that's always very tough to do when it's real people. Yeah. And, the, and people you know desperately. Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> do you oh. Do yeah. you still watch Community, Bobby? I do. Did you, you see Nathan Fillion's... I did not see the last episode yet. All right. <laughs> I won't say anything <laughs> okay. then. Um, so good. <laughs> Mara, are you a, a Firefly fan? Yes. Did you read this book? <laughs> no, not yet. But I did read the um, the free comic book day one, okay. and I think Patton Oswalt he was the author of that. No, um, actually, Zach Whedon was the author of the free comic book <gasps> day one. Patton Oswalt did do a he did do a graphic, what did he do? He did a graphic novel. He did an, an art. That's right. On on the book. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the the free comic book day one. If you've read that, this is very much you know very that's still in that same spirit. Continues that. That, that same level of quality. I, I'm really, really excited to keep reading it because it, it does feel like I'm returning to characters who I haven't seen in a very, very long time and they're done incredibly well. Do we know how many issues it is? I don't know. I think it's like five or four, I think. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely a mini. I would like to watch the series again and the movie <laughs> and then read it. So maybe if I... I'll give myself some like time. Like some catch-up. I just hope it's not one of those things that it's going to jump off the shelf in you know in the interim before I'm ready. There'll be a trade. I got to prep myself. There'll be a trade. Got to do my calisthenics. There absolutely will be a trade. And then in the back of the book, too, there's a preview for um, Buffy season 10, which is uh, Rebecca Isaacs is the artist on it, and uh, Christos Gage is, is the writer. And the, the preview was really, really good. It was really, really good. I, I've, I've, Buffy is one of my favorite shows of all time. I never, mm. I, I just didn't get on the, the reading those books. And there's now there's so many of them that I feel overwhelmed to try to read them. But what I read there was really cool. You know what I want? What? That Veronica Mars movie. Yeah, I'm, I know. So bad. Speaking of bringing back dead TV shows. Oh, um, I love Veronica now, could, Mars. Could Dark Horse leverage this, having lost Star Wars, and be- they could become the home of the Whedonverse? And, well, they, they already are right, in, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Keep blowing that out because there is, if not the same level of fandom, it's growing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is, I mean, we've seen it, right? At, at the cons, there's a, an ungodly amount of. Um, love for, for especially for yeah. serenity for something that went away so quickly i think it stokes that fire continuously um yeah absolutely i mean i would i would not be surprised to see this be selling very very well when the, when the numbers come out um next month can't wait to pick it up and trade yeah well y'all do be waiting <laughs> T- talk to me in six months ma i will ouch well it's probably on the um it's probably one of our review copies yeah actually i mean i have it as a review copy but <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll get to it, but I'm just, I, I'm excited to support it financially in a nice hardcover trade. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe we'll go back to, cause there are, I think there are Joss Whedon written books uh, before this. Um, and maybe we want to go back and check those out if, if they retain this sort of fidelity to the material. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for our book of the week segment. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about superhero movie castings.
right, we are back. And we're here to talk about some superhero movie casting. So specifically, um, and I'm sure all of you guys know this, that I don't think there's any way you don't know this, but um, I believe it was Thursday, Friday, one of those days. No, it was definitely Friday because I did not talk about it on Comics and Coffee. So definitely happened Friday. Um, we got uh, some big casting news uh uh, for the Superman Batman movie, we got both our Alfred and our Lex Luthor. Um, we have Jeremy Irons playing Alfred and Jesse Eisenberg playing Lex Luthor. Now, this movie seemed to be a lightning rod for uh, reactions to castings, um, specifically because this is the you know they're recasting you know pretty much everyone now. We, we've got to the point where it's not just Superman and Lois, all that stuff. This is now big big characters uh who have been in movies recently who are being you know recast again um and Alex Luther obviously uh you know the biggest character in the Superman universe probably outside of Superman and Lois so we have um you know s- some very big sh- very big roles to fill the movie was just delayed so this is kind of taking the, the place of any mm-hmm. other forward momentum on what, what we're going to see i'm sure we're going to see the costume very very soon and we're going to start we'll get another, another round of of these uh reactions but i want to start specifically out we're going to talk more about kind of general general what we feel about way he'll react to these announcements and, and the culture around them later but let's talk specifically about these announcements because it is the biggest news of, of the week absolutely um Steve, why don't you start out? What do you think about uh, these two people? What do you think about Jeremy Irons as Alfred, and what do you think about Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor? Well, I am sorry to say that I'm not all too familiar with Jeremy Irons. I've seen him in a couple of films. What I do remember seeing him in, I liked him. He's not an actor that I dislike. Mm. Uh, Alfred is a very, very... He's a character that's very close to my heart. He's probably my second favorite person in the Batman universe out of the, the male population. And <laughs> hey man, <laughs> I, I like, I like, the, I like the, the ladies of Gotham a lot more than I like the, the males, but um, no, that's cool. I, I hope that he does the character some justice. I mean, he's a seasoned actor, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oscar winner. Well, tell me, what is what has he been in? Maybe I, I know well, him, I don't even... You'd probably know most from Die Hard. Three. Three. Die Hard with a Vengeance. He's the bad yeah. guy in Die Hard with a oh, Vengeance. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, I love that movie. And, and Lion King. Yeah, he's the voice of Scar in Lion King. Oh. That's how, that's how I know him. <laughs> See, we're getting better. Um, yeah, no, I... The Alfred role, I mean, to me, Alfred, I loved Michael Caine. As Alfred, I love Michael Caine since I saw him in the uh, Muppet Christmas Carol mm. as Ebenezer Scrooge. I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> you're amazing!" So it's gonna take me a little bit to jump off of that and get used to seeing somebody else in, uh, you know, Mr. Pennyworth's shoes. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea that they they chose somebody that actually carries a lot of weight behind him. And people seem to it's it's a shame that the Jesse Eisenberg thing completely trumped any kind of attention or excitement for the Jeremy Irons part of it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was such a good idea to announce them both on the same day. Well, I think that the Jeremy Irons thing is more because he is a seasoned mm-hmm. elderly British actor and he's playing Alfred. So it's kind of it's kind of like there's not much to talk about with the Jeremy Irons thing because it, it just makes sense. Like it, it's 
it's one of like if you put a list of old British actors in front of me, like and I just call through them, she'd probably be at the top of that list of people who haven't played Alfred before. Right. So it, it I feel like that's the reason why that casting gets lost a little bit, you know, because it just it it makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, I will say on the Jesse Eisenberg front that I was shocked mm-hmm. by the announcement completely. I, I went on to Twitter and I saw, you know, all the, the foo <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. And I went and I checked and I, sure enough, he had been announced as Lex Luthor. And the first thing I was sitting there and I was drinking my coffee and I'm like, huh, <laughs> the guy from Zombieland is going to be Lex Luthor. And here's the thing. This movie just keeps on getting more and more interesting. And it's it's become such a circus. And it's the attention that it gets, the overreactions that people are having to it, that it's actually piqued my, my interest more so in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as him being cast, you know what? If... If he's going to, to take full advantage of the opportunity and they have confidence in his ability to do it and he makes this like his breakout role and he, he wants to show the world basically that he can do this and that he could play the character the right way, then I'm all for it. Mm. You know, they they have a lot of there's a lot of things going on around this movie. The Wonder Woman castings, how she's gonna act, how much is she gonna be in the movie. There's so this movie's being dragged through the mud with questions, you know. Uh, something like announcing Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor is not going to throw me from everything else that's already been thrown at this movie. If anything, if this movie comes out on top and ends up being awesome, I will have to eat like every word <laughs> that I, you know, negative word that I've said about it from when it first began until now. Mm. I still think they need to change the logo, though, because that logo is ass. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Okay. Mara, uh, first of all, (laughs) we've experienced talking to you about movies before. Do you know who Jesse Eisenberg is? I'm actually looking at his uh, IMDb (laughs) right now. I'm not even making fun of her. He's the guy that created Facebook. (laughs) The first (laughs) time we talked about Paul Rudd uh, in Comics and Coffee, she was like, I don't know who that is. I don't either. So we're even, Mara. Okay. You and I, kid. So I've seen half of Zombieland before I fell asleep. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm looking at him, and he doesn't strike me as someone who couldn't play Lex Luthor. Okay. And I said couldn't, right? Yeah. Like, he he, he doesn't look like someone who doesn't have that capability. I think he could do it. Um, You know, I. Looking at this, it just reminds me of when Anne Hathaway was cast as Catwoman, or sorry, Selena. Um, mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, that girl, you know, that's not going to work. But, you know, you just kind of have to have faith with these big superhero movies that whoever they cast is going to be okay. And it's not going to live up to your expectations anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so very just true. Get over it. <laughs> just go watch the movie. <laughs> so I- I'm heading into it with low expectations. But confidence that it will turn out exactly what the directors want anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Bob? Well, Mara's last statement is my fear. It's going to turn out exactly the way the directors want it to, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is why I've got to have other problems. Mm. I will say one thing. I think the Alfred part has been cast perfectly, not counting the old movie series, whether it's Alan Napier, Ephraim Zimblist in the cartoons, Ian Holdsworth on uh, Birds of Prey, certainly Michael Goff and Michael Caine. Mm. 
they've chosen people who have gravitas, who are there, and you understand they could be friends and confidants of Bruce Wayne. So Jeremy Irons is, is great casting in that. I have to say, when I first start to hear the casting, ooh, Jeremy Irons is going to be in Batman versus Superman or mm, whatever or, we're going to call it. I, I prefer to call it BS. Untitled, untitled right. Man of Steel sequel. No, I'm calling it BS from here on <laughs> in. Anyway, when th- that was announced, I said, oh, he's going to be Lex Luthor. Because in, in my head, he was, t- was always on the short list for Doctor Doom. Because he'd, he'd be a, good a great Doctor Doom. Good voice Doom. for Doctor Doom, yes. So, Alfred, just as you're saying, yeah, elderly British actor, yeah. Alfred, great. Yeah. yeah. Jesse Eisenberg? <laughs> he's a good actor. He's been in, a, in movies I really like, mm-hmm. and he's, he's sort of a, not sort of, he's a very creepy guy in Social Network. Mm-hmm. He's fun in a lot of things. In my head, it's, okay, it's it's he and Michael Sarah. They're, they're kind of... That yeah, I'm not, we'll we'll get into right. that after right. But I think in that one of them can play sort of one tone, and mm-hmm. Eisenberg can do other things. Mm-hmm. What it did say to me though is, what storyline do we put this Lex Luthor in? Where are we at? This is gonna lead it to his strengths. One has to assume mm-hmm. that yeah. you, you know hire this guy and have him play Gene Hackman, right? No. Or Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. Hopefully not either one of those, right? <laughs> But is it going to be the John Shea kind of one mm-hmm. from Lois and Clark? It's certainly not Rosenbaum from right, Smallville, no. yeah. which is more in line with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. So what Lex are we getting? Mm-hmm. What is he in the new Fifty Two? Which I have to assume they're heading in that direction. He, I mean, he's you know if when you if you think about Lex Luthor, like to me, he's what I think about when I think about Lex Luthor in the Fifty Two. You know, he's um, conniving, you know, businessman who is creepy, and I mean, right now, obviously. He, his, his the first time he's really been central is right now in Forever Evil, so it's a little bit different, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know he's ruthless; will do anything he can do to to get on top to to win. It just happens right now. What's going on in Fifty Two? He's doing that for the good of the world. world. But you know, it's that same sort of character. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. he became the businessman. It was actually, it's I think it's Marv Wolfman's idea mm. that he just postulated and they never used. And then John Byrne took it, and it was from Man of Steel. But he was still the scientist Lex. Yeah, he's still but, a scientist, absolutely. But not the yeah. cackling mad scientist right. of the 50s and 60s, but he still could build anything you needed yeah. to get built, and it basically was to take out Superman because yes. he was jealous and hated him. And Still happening in the New, the new 52. Okay, yeah. so the, he's still Lex. He's still Lex, absolutely, okay. yes. So what do you think about this? I love Jesse Eisenberg. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it all depends on what you're delivering and how you're painting the character. I think that this obviously shows me, and it probably shows everyone, that... They are setting up Lex as kind of what Lex would be if he was alive now, which would be he would have gotten intensely rich and intensely famous when he was super young, you know, and, you know, he's built an empire by the time he's 31, because that's how old Jesse Eisenberg is, he's 31 years old, Um when I think of the, when when this got this happened, you know, I had the same reaction everybody did, where I it came out of left field, like blindsided me. I never expected him to catch Jesse Eisenberg. He wasn't on my radar. Um, but when I begin to think about it, a it excites me because it's not what I expected, and so it do, it does excite me. Uh, I've seen what he can do as an actor, and I don't think he has to look much farther than the Social Network, where you know, obviously he. He's somewhat redeemable in that movie. You, you know, he's not a bad guy in that movie. Um, I guess depending on what perspective yeah. you're going from, but there are times in that movie where he tears people apart with his brain, and that's what I want from Lex. You know, 
what this tells me about this movie too is that there is no chance that they're going to even even hazard the 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 scenario that Lex will do anything physical against either one of the two heroes or the three heroes that are going to be oh, good point. in the movie. Because, of course, he can't stand up to Superman, but the, the, Jesse Eisenberg can't stand up to, to Ben Affleck's Batman either. Um, or Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. You know, it, it doesn't matter. He's going to have to destroy you with what's in his head, you know? And that's what I want from Lex Luthor. I, 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 one of my the, my... the biggest drawback for me in all the previous Superman movies that he has appeared in is that he's a joke. He's consistently a joke. And it, it pains me that they, they paint what is his biggest villain and his direct opposite someone who they could get and one of the most interesting villains in all of you know modern fiction Mm -hmm. as a a a guy looking to make a a shysty land deal like that's all he ever does in any of the movies otisburg yeah Uh, this shows me they're gonna there's something about jesse eisenberg that and if he plays his character as he's played other characters similar to to kind of that idea there's gonna be a real um, sharpness and a, and a real vileness and a real meanness to him and I can just imagine him you know I can imagine him getting in standing up in right you know on his tippy toes basically in Henry Cavill's face you know berating him for what what he's done you know and, and the destruction he's caused and how he's a menace and how he's all of these things and he, he'll push all his buttons because he knows that Superman won't touch him because that, because that's not what Superman does, and I think that I, I I look forward to seeing him do it. Because in my opinion, you're gonna cast you, you cast a great actor in a role. That's all I that's all I want. I want I want a great actor playing a role that needs a great actor. Which is why I wasn't upset when they cast Ben Affleck as Batman. You know, and, and I think that it's very interesting. And this casting, as Steve said, this casting and the Batman casting mm-hmm. are the reasons why now I am interested in, in seeing this movie because yeah. those actors are not actors who who tend to do um, bland stuff. So that's why I'm, I'm excited. Steve, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I mean, minus the voice, what if somebody like Jesse Eisenberg is the next um, like James Spader? Or the next right. Willem Dafoe, yeah. Like as they age, as they get older, they pl- they play into that like the creep factor, yeah. Because he's very cold, yeah, and he's very you know he's very calculated. I mean, I'm jumping off of the social network, right, yeah. but it takes it takes a certain kind of actor to be able to portray a person like that and have it be believable, yeah. Excuse me, and I'm just saying like everybody, oh, he's too young, he's too this, he's too that. What if what if this is his role and what if this is his chance to kind of move into that arena of Hollywood mm-hmm. and this and and he shows people the world pretty much you know cuz the movie's going to make tons of money people are going to see it right. that he can carry a role like that mm-hmm. and then as his career continues you see him in more mature roles after that mm-hmm. and he does get taken a little bit more seriously right. everybody has to do movies not, I'm not saying that he didn't want to do Zombieland because Zombieland's awesome. Yeah, but I'm just saying everybody has to start somewhere. Just because he did The Social Network and Zombieland, you can't discredit the guy and say that he can't do this, or can't do that. You could do anything that you throw yourself into, and he he strikes me as a, as an actor that will throw himself into the role. Right, and you you mentioned the Michael Sarah thing, and I think very much when they when they both first started, they were sort of two sides of the same coin you know they they had a similar delivery and 
Whereas I feel as Michael Sarah has kind of stayed in that in that area. I mean, I, I think Michael Sarah's great. I think he's hilarious. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to see Michael Sarah as Lex Luthor. But I feel like there is um, a strength. But I, I would love to see a skit on Funny or Die with Michael Sarah as Lex Luthor. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jesse Eisenberg has more um, has more power behind him than I think that Michael Sarah has ever had as an actor. Yeah. I, the one of the things, that, the big things that came up, right, was the, the, this too young thing kind of floated around a lot when, when it happened. Now, comparatively, let's just say this: I mean, sides of looks, because Jesse Eisenberg is a younger-looking person than Henry Cavill is. They're the exact same age. They're both thirty-one years old. So there, there's that. Now there's a question of how that relates to the comic book continuity, and, and that's also all over the place. Like their their ages historically, they're high school classmates. Right, exactly. They're the same age, and, and so that's yeah. why I, I get like the the reaction as like he does not look the way I expect Lex Luthor to look. I, I totally get th- that reaction. Um, but the age thing, I think, is a moot point because they're supposed to be similar mm-hmm. in, in age. Um, now, uh, you know, Bob, I, I don't. I get the sense that you're not happy about the casting. I'm concerned that. What we'll end up with is a Lex completely on the sidelines, mm. not having that confrontation mm. you're describing, pushing buttons, and there'll be giant robots, and there'll be more stuff smashed all over the place, mm-hmm. and you won't have the actory moment that mm. I would like to have. Yeah. Because I think Cavill is... There are very few highlights for me in Man mm. of Steel. Yeah. I'm going to be very careful about how I say all <laughs> I thought he was certainly one of them. He could play... The real Superman mm-hmm. in a movie. I'm, I'm everyone they've cast mm. Ben and everything else. And we're going to get to all that. Yeah. I am not as concerned about the people they've cast who have mostly been good actors mm-hmm. in what or they've been suitable for the roles they've been chosen yeah. for, as opposed to the project they're going to end up in, mm-hmm. which has got nothing to do with them because right. they were Kevin Costner was very good. Mm-hmm playing something really stupid. Mm-hmm. But he was very good at playing that. Right. So you could have really great people mm-hmm. doing really bad things. Right. If, you, if you've ever seen, you know, Valley of the Dolls, it's filled with really good actresses. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really terrible because the words are awful. Yeah. So if you have every other part right and the the broth that all your vegetables are in is mm-hmm. rotten, it's a rotten bowl of soup. Right. And I'm concerned about that. I... Would I have chosen him? No. Will it work? Could very well work. Mm-hmm. So I, as someone who was a naysayer about Michael Keaton 25 mm-hmm. years ago, turned out to be very, very wrong. Right. Again, to me, it isn't these actors. It's what they're going to do. Right. And let, let's just hope for the best moving yeah. forward. Yeah, that, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I... I you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, emotional reactions, obviously, right when, when it happened. Um, but I asked some people, uh, you know, anybody, I put a little call on Twitter and Facebook. I said, go to the site, comment on the news story, and give us kind of well reasoned, you know, thoughts about why you think uh, you like it or or you don't mm-hmm. like it. Um, he said, uh, uh, Matt says he said I like it. Jeremy Irons is great, and Eisenberg is a terrific actor. I won't argue that it isn't odd casting, but I'm going to make the same argument I always do. Heath Ledger. The internet went batshit crazy when he was cast as Joker, and look what happened. I think as long as we don't get a bat suit with nipples, the film can't be that bad. Hopefully. <laughs> um, he said, I guess it's a good time to say that I'm 110% Josh Holloway playing Aquaman. Uh, anyone says the bad thing about Lost, I will cut you. 
Uh, Cut you, man. uh, Casey Crawford says, here's the deal. Jesse Eisenberg is no longer, nor was he ever, in my opinion, the stammering, awkward, poor man's Michael Sarah. He's a skillful (laughs) actor who, despite his appearance... Is plenty old enough to play this part. Lex Luthor doesn't have to be a bald-headed middle-aged businessman, although the magic of makeup could fix that. The modern world's Lex Luthor is much more likely to be a younger social media tycoon, which is all we know, which we all know he can play very well. Once again, the internet saw something that they didn't like, although it was given no thought, and here we are wasting time conversing about a something we have no ability to change, and b something that will more, more than likely be a good a la Heath Ledger. Bottom line, this dude is probably going to nail it, and those people who are busy tweeting pessimistic, reactive crap are going to feel awfully silly for having been so brash. Um, is there any ch- P.S. Is there any chance Alfred will be prepared? Oh, sorry. Is there any chance Alfred will be branded with a heinous scar over his eye and saying, be prepared to Bruce? Um, <laughs> uh, George says, I'm not entirely sold on this yet. I mean, I think Jesse Eisenberg is a great actor, but I just don't know if he's at the right age for this role. Um, and I know the role could certainly be altered slightly to fit his age and they could do what they did with Heath Ledger and he could make it his own, but I don't have the same trust with the creative talents behind this movie like I did with the Batman trilogy. I'm certainly willing to be proven wrong, but I'm just not sure that this is going to work. Um, Bavano Weg says, I, incre- I agree entirely with Casey Crawford above. Eisenberg is most definitely a Ledger-esque wildcard for a villain. His resume is strong in comedy and drama. Hoping that Superman Batman isn't as purely dark as Man of Steel, this film could play very well to his strengths. Is this, is this role... Wait, sorry. Uh, if this role is meant to be dark, his performance will be new and interesting for sure. As for Irons, I'm not feeling it. I can't shake the image of him as Simon from Die Hard, but he is a great actor, <laughs> so who knows? He might crush it. Um, he might be a good Lex. Yeah. <laughs> Carl said, not sold on any of the casting of this movie so far, um, other than Soup's. Uh, um, plus, uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't like uh, the choice for Wonder Woman. I like the actress, not just, just not particularly as Wonder Woman. I hope I'm pleasantly surprised, but I won't hold my breath. And Mike Man 1090 says... I, th- I seriously thought this was a joke when I first read it, but after some contemplation, I'm on board with this. He's a great actor and pretty much plays an a-hole on the social network. Plus, if you picture him bald, he kind of actually looks like Lex. I can already picture some great <laughs> scenes with him, and I can't wait for this freaking movie. So thank you to everybody who, who wrote in and spent some time uh, writing your reactions to uh, the, the casting. Now, that was uh, a very very positive set of people talking, uh, for most part, about, mm-hmm. about the casting mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, what we've seen over the last couple of months, obviously, and the, and it's you know it's been years, but we're seeing it more sharp relief here because these are such huge characters. This is Batman, you know. This this isn't when they cast Ant Man, people are like, oh look, Paul Paul Rudd yeah. is an Ant Man. They're not saying they don't say the opposite way around. No, Mara and I say who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this one when when you get names like Batman, the the character always comes first in, in the casting, right? It's like. Batman is this person, not this person is Batman. Um, Batman is Rob Schneider. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so people get very passionate about these castings. They they get very into it. Um, Mara, what do you think about the way people react to these castings? And w- what have you seen over the these last couple of months, couple of years, when it comes to that? It's I, I wouldn't. It's really hard. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Um, <laughs> it's. It's just a movie. Um, but I, I recognize as a comic book fan that you want it to be the best movie it possibly can be. And a lot of that rides on the person you see for two and a half hours, the actor. 
if and of course, like as fans, we read the comics a lot. We watch cartoons. We have all these incarnations, and we've kind of developed our own personal view of who Superman is, or who Batman is, or Wonder Woman. And if so, some director or casting director comes in and tells us this is who Wonder Woman is, and you sit there and you're like, ah, no, maybe I don't know. It's just for me when I hear these casting news, I just personally I just shrug and move on because I've I've had my doubts before and you know everything turned out okay as as long as you know things are handled and not you know just thrown around I'm okay um, for everyone else I just I just want to tune you out and <laughs> go back to my happy place I wish you had this much passion for everything else in life I, I hope you have as much passion for everything else in life as you do for casting <laughs> <laughs> And like I said, um, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't want to insult anyone. Um, but for me, it's a movie. Movies aren't a big part of my life, though. So, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. Like when people say, "Why do you read comic books all the time? Why do you get so worked about comic books?" You know, it's just mm, okay. That's my <laughs> thing. That's your thing. It's all right. Right. Yeah. Of course. Uh, you know, for me, I think this happens with comics. I think it happens with books. I think, I, I, I think there is this thought, right, that. The, the once a movie is made and once there is a, a, a physical person attributed to a role that that becomes almost the definitive version of, of that character. I don't think that's actually true, but I think people get very hung up on that feeling that they're that the thing that they love that now is different in a movie. It, it's now that's going to be the representation of that thing for at least a, a, a good chunk of time until they make the, the next movie where, they, where they, they recast it all again and they do it all again. Um, so I think that adds a, a lot to it. I, I think also, you know, in, and I, I don't know if this is true because I just go by my, my personal, my feelings on it, but when there, there's, a, there's a process to, to creating anything, right? Where you are, um, you go through a, lo a, lot, of, a lot of process, you know, you go, you go, you recycle ideas upon, upon idea, upon idea, upon idea. And we even see it like when we do our Halloween movies, the way that they, they, they change and they shape. And we have an idea that we think is going to be amazing and great. And then when we actually try to put an execution, we realize we've got to change it. So I, I think that th there's a thought, I think a lot of people, when they see this, because when you see it on the internet, it comes out, it's there and it's in your face and you can't do anything about it. And you have that, that helpless feeling that this happened and why wasn't I consulted? And it's not really what people, mm -hmm. people aren't like consciously thinking that, but there's some place in their brain that's thinking that. And they feel like part of, I think part of it seems quick, like a quick decision. And as a creative person, I think anybody can speak to who, who, who creates things. There's a lot of process that, that, that's involved in picking something. And there are a lot, listen, People who cast movies make a lot of dumb decisions. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But there are people who get paid a lot of money to just, because they are so good at being able to look at a script and look at a character and find the right person to to play that character. Um, and there, there's, there's, they have thought and thought and thought about this. So there's a lot of, I think, um, weight behind those decisions that get made. And I think that, we all get caught up and I'm not, I'm not excluding myself in it at all. We all get caught up in what is in our head. We have a picture of this is the person I think should play this. This is the, this is how they should look. This is how, you know, all those things. 
and when it when it differs, I think there's a very strong reaction and to, to that difference and, and and it gets to the core of us because we've thought so much about it that when something is given dissonant, it's almost like an insult to us that it didn't match up with the vision in my head. It happened to me a lot with like you know like Harry Potter movies, um, which I enjoy. But there are moments in that movie where I'm like, this is wrong, you know. And it's <laughs> not wrong. It's just it's not how I saw it. It's how they saw it. But I I totally get the reasoning why. But I think that in general we live in this culture that is so so reactive. It's it, you know it, 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 the Jesse Eisenberg being cast as Lex Luthor is the end of the world until until two hours later when the other end of the world happens. You know, and, and I I mm. feel like we live in a world where it's so easy to, to get your opinion out there and so easy to have a voice. And I think those, those parts are wonderful. Um, it's what this whole thing is based on, Mm -hmm. but I think that people need to, there, there, there's something to be said for sitting back and thinking about something and not being first. You know, there, there's a lot to be said about having your opinion formed and made by thinking about it instead of, just reacting with a knee-jerk thing that, in the end, I think a lot of these comments were saying it too, about in six months, you're going to say, well, why the hell did I ever say that thing? Um, so that's my opinion on all of these things. But, uh, Bob, I don't know. What do you think? Well, one thing I want to address right away in something mm. that you, one of your remarks is the idea of it being permanent because it gets to be on screen. Right. And that somehow a lot of it is transient, mm-hmm. but others are not. Because we are now looking, Adam West was Batman in 1966. Mm -hmm. It defined for everyone for the longest time what superheroes were, what what Mm -hmm. comic books were, and Batman in particular, that everything was sort of a joke. Right. And at some level, it is now nearly 50 years later, there'll be an article in the newspaper about comic book movies or about comic books, Mm -hmm. and invariably it leads off with, Bam, pow, Batman. Right. It is not out of people's heads yeah. a half a century later. Mm. So these are more permanent because they're seen by millions of people as opposed right, to yeah. these thousands who see the comic books mm. now. So for those of us who fear things going badly awry, I think if we're around long enough, you, you see it happen. Mm. The news does disappear quickly now to replace by another outrage. Right. Yeah. And so that, that's something else altogether. A large thing here is Hollywood changes everything. They mm-hmm. change characters, they change endings, they move the middles to the to the end of a trilogy. You have screenwriters and directors and studios who want to put their thumbprints on something and say, "Well, I need this part of it to be, well, I did that. Mm-hmm. I made it I made his boots different or mm-hmm. I did this or I made him this and this and some other thing." Some subtle changes work really well they managed to find ways to change captain america to make it somewhat more modern little bits of this and this but kept to the core of it and moved forward iron man the same thing instead of him being wounded in vietnam which would make him really really old <laughs> yeah. we just move it 20 years up into the mm-hmm. gulf war theater yeah. and and you can do that but then you can do the mandarin and it, to me it doesn't work mm-hmm. where you take a character iron man's joker and basically flush him down the drain mm-hmm. for the sake of, I can make this change. Isn't this right. change cool? Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. provided if, and I think where a lot of the outrage comes, and it's going to come from me, but it's hopefully it's not going to come right here, particularly now. <laughs> because as resident historian, as resident Alta Cocker, which is the German phrase for old fart who complains a lot, 
I'm about fidelity to the source material. And to, to quote John Byrne on this, a fictional character is exactly what the author says he or she is. Sherlock Holmes is tall, lean, and hawk-like. Harry Potter is a kid. When you make changes at the fundamental levels, you've changed the character fundamentally. A black Johnny Storm, for instance, has a much different upbringing, a much different life experience than the character that has been put in play and we have seen for 50-odd years. You need to then adjust and change everything, and that is not how it was put down there. And as you said, it does a disservice to all concerned. I, I want to see the relationships of comic book characters put on the screen in the way that they were put on paper by their creators. I, I know movie people, the casting directors, the screenwriters, the directors of the films themselves are all very talented and very smart people. I see a lot of these changes as someone assuming they're far more clever than the people who created the properties themselves. And that's for me. And what I want, the I want actors chosen to physically seem like their characters who are emotionally in the same way or just a responsible replication of that on screen. And it isn't just ethnicity. I really don't want it to be there. I don't want to see Tyler Maine play Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see a, a Paris Hilton Sue Storm or a fat oafish Ben Grimm or goth emo Johnny Storm mm. or Filipino oil magnate Batman. <laughs> I prefer to see them as I saw them in my mind's eye for all this time uh, and not to disparage anyone who wants to have change. It would be great if everything replicated the real world all the time. Many of these characters were created in a much different world than now. That said, for instance, within three years of the Fantastic Four's launch, Stan had black characters in the background, people of authority. He had the, the Black Panther was created a year after the Civil Rights Voting Act is passed. Mm. It was something very, you know, crazy to do, and they went ahead and did it. I, what we want is, for me, the, again, the change is wonderful. It can be done in a more organic way than usurping someone else's history. I think of it as, oh boy, here we go. I'll do this nicely. Because I, I, it is, I'm trying to say something really positive and nice here. We're mm-hmm. trying to keep this positive, and it has yes. been so far. Many of the folks who have no problem with major seismic paradigm shifts in how these characters are portrayed don't have history with the characters or emotional attachment to them. And if you sort of postulate to people, well, what if we did this? Oh, no, you can't do that. Well, because it's the character they are in love with, mm-hmm. and their v- vision of it is more in line with the creators, it then turns into, well, you can't do that. Mm. But for those of us with history with some of these other ones, it's, it's that for us too. Yeah. So I'm not, for me personally, I'm not anti-anything, mm-hmm. or I am more pro-author's intent, author's vision, creator's desires. Right. All right, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell do I follow that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus Christ, Bob. <laughs> <sighs> God. All right. Well, all right. Well, I'll I'll answer the question, but take it in a little bit of a different of a different direction. Uh, I am a very reactionary person, uh, especially online. Um, I have been trying to do something personally over the past year or so. Uh, 
was talking to my girlfriend, and she, I've noticed her Twitter account is always positive. Mm-hmm. Always. Doesn't matter. She doesn't tweet unless it's like you could see the smiley faces just like mm-hmm. bursting off of, of her tweets. And also our friend Rob. Mm-hmm. Who is has you know not a huge Twitter presence, but he's on there. He mm-hmm. has his conversations. He has his people, but it's always he always speaks positively about things. He never takes to the to the internet as like rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. like I could have I could have bitched about uh, Justice League War mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. easily. I could have been like you know oh my god this was crap and stuff like that. But I've been trying to exercise a little bit of restraint in the past couple months. I don't always went out but i've been doing better about it but the point of of my even bringing this up is that the shelf life of a reaction to something like this on the internet almost has no shelf life like the moment that you put it out there it gets sucked up into the ether somebody refreshes their twitter feed and all of a sudden they've got 26 tweets and yours is all the way down at the bottom that unless they scroll unless they follow you intently and they watch your profile more than likely they're going to miss what you've said um i think the somewhat uh of not being held account some people don't think that they're held accountable for what they say online it's very easy to uh be reactionary and jump on the bandwagon when it comes to these types of casting things uh, I think a lot of people are just are so quick to get their opinion out there that they throw it out there before they've even had the time to sit and formulate one, you know, intelligently and, and to think it all the way through before you decide to be like, you know, ah, you know, mm-hmm. screw Jesse Eisenberg. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, if you feel that way, you feel that way. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And you're you're totally, you know, by all means, do that. Mm-hmm. But. You know, there are always people on the receiving end. And for people that are saying, oh, I can't, you know, I can't see them as this character. I can't. But you haven't even seen them as that character yet. How could you how could you say that this doesn't work for you when you haven't? I mean, I know you you imagine it Mm. to be bad, but you haven't seen the performance. You haven't seen the delivery. You don't know what these people are going to do. You don't know that they're not sitting at home and looking at the the reactions. You don't think that they sat down Jesse Eisenberg and was like, "Listen, dude, we told <laughs> Bat, you know, Bat, Bat, we Bat. told Ben that he didn't want to look at Twitter and he didn't want to look at Facebook and you know all these things." So you know, we we stress to you that you know you're going to get a shitstorm mm-hmm. once we drop this news on Friday. Mm-hmm. I just hope that you're ready for it. You know, and as far as like his stature and his voice and stuff. He's an actor. Mm-hmm. He's going to be put through probably a rigorous physical uh, routine to maybe bulk himself up a little bit, maybe you know stand up a little straighter, maybe lower his voice an octave or so, just to get that kind of like calculated murderousness to him that that he you know if that's what they want their Lex Luthor to be like that he'll be able to between now and when the movie actually comes out and they actually start filming. He has so much time on his hands now that he knows that he's doing it to like stand in front of his mirror (laughs) and practice lines over and over and over again. Mm. Um, But as far as the reactions go, I really just think that it it comes down to people feeling like it doesn't matter if they're negative about it. Mm -hmm. 
you know they throw it out there and they they poop on it and all that stuff and then you know after they after they do they did it and mm-hmm. they went back you know their lunch break is over and they mm-hmm. went back to work <laughs> right and it's out there and you know seven of their friends agree with them <laughs> three of them don't and then you know maybe one or two assholes want to fight with them about it on a forum or something right. like that um but i just i just find i find that behavior to be i don't know if counterproductive is i'm not so good with the words mm. Uh, it's a step backward for great comic book to film entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, I know these stories and these characters mean a lot to people. They mean a lot to me too. Mm-hmm. They do a lot. And I think that it becomes personal when you announce somebody that maybe you're not too hot on. But all I can say is, you know, and people point at Heath Ledger and stuff, try try just to hold out a little bit of hope and not try to rein yourself in a little bit and not be so reactionary all the time because it just, it stokes a very ridiculous fire mm-hmm. that I, I, I feel more is not, is not warranted. Yeah. You know, it's it, to me, for me, it started with the wonder woman stuff. Mm. People have, you've seen Gal Gadot in, in how many movies Two, mm. maybe, mm. You don't know what she's going to do. Yeah. You don't know what she's capable of. You don't know how often she's going to go to the gym. You don't know how much she's going to read up on her Greek pathology. You mm. don't know, you know, who's going to be sitting down with her. Maybe that person sitting down with her has read Gail Simone's stuff, has read uh, Greg Rucka's Wonder Woman and like hands her the Hecatate and is like, mm. yo, listen, when you go home tonight, read this mm-hmm. because everybody on the internet's complaining about this Wonder Woman and that Wonder Woman we if we're going to start you off as wonder woman we want it to be the one that they want because we want to bring in that crowd because they mm. hate us right now <laughs> um mm. and i you know i th- i think that's what goes down for the most part like i said i am not innocent of of this stuff i've done it probably more times than i can count but i'm working on it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i will say this and i think that like a lot of bad movies get made but when you, when you ever hear anybody and you talk to anybody in the movie industry, nobody sets out to make a, a bad movie. Um, these people want to make a great movie. And listen, actors, there is no more group of uh, self-conscious people in the entire world than actors. They want to be the best at what they're doing. And these people are going to do everything they can to be those people. Um, you know, I, I think... And uh, and uh, Bob, I, I completely agree with a lot of what you what you were saying about intent. And it, it's... In comic books, it's it's a... It's such a weird thing, right? They're they're a weird medium to begin with because they're character they're they're sixty year old characters who have been written by fifty different people a lot of the time, and it's so different than than books, you know, where it's there, there's this one person who wrote this one character and, and they did it and that's it, you know, and it, it's all written words. It's not even there's not even pictures to go along <laughs> with what we get, you know, and you created so much in your brain. With comic books, it's it seems like comic book fans go through like they constantly are going through like double, like it's there seems in a constant cycle of anger. You know what I mean, and and um, I, I, I for me I, I understand like wanting to hold on to that look and wanting to be right to the source material, and you know sometimes I get that angry about things that are changed and stuff, but it, it's and actually in, and there are times I, there are times where you can tell that those people making those movies or doing those things just want to be different to be different. They just because making they want to they want to create something. They want to feel like they're making something, so they have to put some some of them into it, and they do it just to do that. Um, and I think it's almost obvious when, when you see that stuff happen. Uh, I think that a lot of times it, ha- it happens for different reasons than that. I think people honestly think it's... 
I don't mean, I think, they, think they're more clever than someone else. I think they just feel like they're, they're I don't know. It's just what came naturally from when when they were creating this property in their in their own right, you know. Um, but I think that we all have this want for things to be the way they were. And I, there, the, those times when I feel that way, that I'm glad I'm not the one making the decisions, because there are times when things are different, that, that they're great, and sometimes they're different, and they're horrible, that, that, and sometimes it's 50-50, but sometimes the things are different are so good that I almost, I, 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 I'm glad that those risks are taken, and that's usually how I think about it. Um, but that's just me. That's just how mm-hmm. I deal with movies and comic books. And it's weird for me because I'm, I was a movie guy before I, w- uh, I was ever a comic book guy. And I try to think of it the same way I think of like a, a, a book or a, mo- a movie based on historical events. You know, I, I'll go read up on the historical events after I see the movie. But by and large, how close it is to those historical events doesn't d- doesn't change how good the movie is all the times you know and so i try to go into things like that with the stuff that i love like when i saw i still mentioned the harry potter thing in the first couple of movies i was like angry i was like throwing things <laughs> and, and i was like i was like you know what i was like just just watch the movies you know they're gonna change things just try to enjoy the movies for what they are because that's what it's gonna be i still got i still have the book the book is still mine and they can't take it away from me and that's what i try to say to people who, who when i talk to people on twitter about this stuff you still got the thing that you love. Don't 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 let them take it away from you because that's what you're doing. You're letting them take it away from you. Be confident in the medium that you love. But I do agree with you that media and all this stuff are are, are still doing biff bam pow. Now that's their fault. You know, don't don't fall into. I'm not talking to you, Bob. I'm talking mm-hmm. to like people in general. Don't fall into that. They get to tell you what's right and what's what's popular and what's definitive. You know, decide that for yourself. Well, the thing is, when we go, though, from our little neighborhood to the world outside, yeah. that's what becomes that perception. Yeah, absolutely. I agree and with you. And so when you're defensive about the thing that goes haywire, mm-hmm. again, a subtle change yeah. can make all the difference in the world. When I, I, I said this to Steve before, and mm. I'll, I'll throw this out here because I frankly think it's a good line. To paraphrase Jeff Goldblum from mm. Jurassic Park, are you going to have any Fantastic Four in your Fantastic Four movie? <laughs> it, it is a real problem where they made two movies and spent $400 million yeah. and basically put 45 minutes of the Fantastic Four on screen yeah. with Chris Evans is funny as Johnny Storm. The problem is for me in that particular casting is good actor, decent part, acting like the 17-year-old Johnny Storm in a grown-up's body that now looks kind of weird. <laughs> he and Ben are army buddies, and he's his superior officer, and he's treating him like a jerk and making mm. fun of him all the time. He's a pretty well, those not movies, grown-up person. Those th- movies are terrible. Those movies are terrible. Right. <laughs> and, and because at a certain level, if you had perhaps trusted the source material more and put the real characters on screen, that wouldn't have happened because mm. that's not part of that. Right. So, unfortunately, now to most people, those movies take precedence far... Because many people saw that as mm-hmm. read the comic book. Yeah. Was Hancock a completely original? I think so, yeah. No. There's a movie that wasn't so bad, considering, mm. and got really no attention, and it raised a lot of interesting points. And it just sort of went down the drain mm. because it didn't have the brand name recognition of these things, which yeah. is why these people who want to put their thumbprints all over yeah. everything would rather take 
Wonder Woman and change it or mm. the Mandarin change it or Superman, Batman, the Punisher, mm. Green Lantern, Green Hornet, mm. the Lone Ranger. Ooh, we can, people know what this is. We'll give them mine. Mm-hmm. You give them your own. Hancock opened, I actually checked the numbers. It opened well. It did very well. It made a lot of money in the end. Well, but. it collapsed. It, it yeah. went down 60, 50, 40. Yeah, yeah. It made a lot of money overseas yeah. and nothing here because mm. who cares? It's Will Smith, but who cares after the mm. first weekend? So you make your movie out of somebody else's mm-hmm. product to keep your bottom line higher. Mm-hmm. To me, I guess. <laughs> oh, I'm running out of steam. Well, <laughs> all right. for me, for me, when it uh, yeah, comes I want to, to yeah. anything that's not how I pictured it, I just in the back of my head, I just like tell myself it's fan fiction. It's fan fiction <laughs> that someone got paid to make, and it's okay. <laughs> I still have my own stuff too. Right. I would just like to put a little disclaimer on my rant. And okay. just let our listeners know that I'm fully aware that I've been very vocal about my discontent for the Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> so when I'm talking about all those people that are flying off the handle, yes, I know. I have been flying off the handle about Fantastic <laughs> Four. And it's because, to what Bob said, that those characters and those stories are very, very, very close to my heart. And I just, the ideas that have been debunked mm. since, but the idea that got proposed is nowhere near in what I would want for a Fantastic Four movie, not the movie that I would want to lead the charge for that family and that franchise. Right. Well, the thing about me is, like, if you want to talk about story and plot, uh, um, to me, that enters into the fray a lot more for my reactions than casting does. Because Mm. that plot they announced that has since been debunked, that the problem is, and Bob was saying before, and the word that I, I always use, regardless, is is core, right? That that issues the core of, of, of those characters. You know, for me personally, I don't care if you know if you're black, white, Asian, you know, Native American, whatever. Though the, maybe that's not what I expected, but as long as the character still is at the core, that person, I can get past it. It's the, the issue I always have is when they they gut the character on on the page or they do stuff like that that Fantastic Four plot synopsis mm-hmm. was positing to do that to me rips apart what the what the actual story is about you know you know you think about something like Lord of the Rings the the movies they change a bunch of stuff in, in those movies some stuff that is if you're like a, a super nerd about Lord of the Rings is egregious you know um, the elves showing up at Helm's Deep in in the second in the second movie is like an egregious change from the books, mm-hmm. but you, the movies are so are so spirited like the books and have such obviously you know craft and well intentions behind them that I I let it go because I can see where the director and the the people are going with it, you know th- th- that's 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 keeping you the spirit by changing a fact. You know, I don't mind if you change facts, but you got to keep the spirit of what's going on alive. Um, right. If you cast it perfectly, I'll say something nice about Man of Steel. If you cast it well, yeah, but lose to me yeah. the core of what mm-hmm. made that character, then it's a failure at that level. Yeah. which is then the reverse of what we're discussing. Right. Which to me is the is is the worst thing about it. That's that's always to me is if you if you rip out the core of a character, the core of what a story is about. That's the part that I that I get I, I I can't deal with because that to me then you're really you're besmirching because that because core the core of a story is is any story if it's a good if it's a good one stands up to I don't care if it's 1964 I don't care if it's 1864 I don't care if it's 2015 I don't care if it's 3015 if the core of a story is good 
it's always good. That ne- that never ever changes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to change character relationships, what they do for a living, what, what how how maybe they originally met each other. All of those little things can change because you want to make a movie that's set in modern day. There are concessions that have to be made, but th- that you know that's there's a reason why Greek tra- tragedies and dramas from you know thousands of years ago still are remade and made again and read it's because they are still great stories no matter what and that's the important thing i think in all of this stuff because when you're transferring to another medium i think that's a good a good place to play around with some of that other stuff but you have to keep the the pillars alive or you're not making that thing anymore you're just slapping a name on it just so you can make money Mm -hmm. and that to me is is the worst the worst crime you can commit in the entertainment space in that way. Despicable. Despicable. Horrible. <laughs> but as Mar said, it's just a movie. Move on, right? Yes. <laughs> ha! Uh, I say. Is there anything else you wanted to say, Mara? No, I think everything's been touched on. <laughs> um, and more. And more. All right. So uh, let us know, guys. Email us, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, at talkingcomics on Twitter, or uh, facebook.com uh, slash talking comics um i'm changing my name and leaving the country uh, <laughs> you can reach me at <laughs> well you don't want anybody to reach you because that would kind of prove that would kind of defeat the purpose of you leaving well i'm not giving them my real address <laughs> all right so let's talk about what's on the shelves right now uh from archie comics we've got uh fox number four um from avatar press we've got god is dead number six red rover charlie number three um, from Boom Studios, we have Adventure Time, the flip side, number two. We've got um, Garfield, number 22, Regular Show, number nine, Revelations, number two, Robocop Homonym Ex Machina, number one, which wow. is a one shot. That's a mouthful. Robocop Last Stand, number seven of eight, and Suicide Risk, number 10. From Dark Horse Comics, we have got Bad Blood, number two, Baltimore Chapel of Bones, number two of two. Uh, Bloodhound Crowbar Medicine, number five of five. <laughs> Catalyst Comics, number eight of nine. We're just moving on. It's um, yeah. <laughs> like three random words. I know. Let's make a comic book. Sounds like an emo band. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Grindhouse Doors Open at Midnight, number five of eight. Juice Squeezers, number two of four. Yeah. Uh, lobster Johnson, Get the Lobster, number one of five. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Mass Effect Foundation, number one, which is a number one for a dollar, apparently. Um, We've got Michael Avon Oming's The Victories, number nine. Occultist, number five of five. Uh, we've got uh, Star Wars, number five. That's The Star Wars. Um, and uh, Terminator Salvation, The Final Battle, number three of 12. From DC Comics, we've got Action Comics, number 28. Uh, we've got Batman Black and White, number six of six. There's an Adam Hughes story in there, by the way. I looked. Oh, really? Yeah. Put up on CBR or something. It's a Catwoman story. Did he draw it as well? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, For Steve. (laughs) Yeah, for me. Just for you personally. Just for Steve. Uh, Batwing, number 28. (laughs) Um, We've got uh, Detective Comics, number 28. Um, Earth 2, number 20. Ferris, number 23. Sweet. Forever Evil, number 5 of 7. Yeah. Forever Evil Arkham War, number 5. Green Arrow, number 28. Green Lantern, Red Lanterns, number 28. Um, very interesting. It, that's a combination of those two issues. It's a, it's a double-sized issue. It's two ninety nine. Ooh. What? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, Hinterkind, number 5. Uh, we've got 
the movement number nine <laughs> uh stormwatch number 28 Batgirl's in it though that's true swamp thing number 28 trillium number six of eight trinity of sin the phantom stranger number 16 and vampire diaries number two man big zc day yeah from dynamite entertainment we've got codename action number five we've got damsels number 12 uh deja thoris and the green men of mars number 10 we've got mark wade's the green hornet number nine Noir, number four. Shadow, number 22. Shadow Year One, number seven. Spider, number 17. Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, number one. Um, Twilight Zone, number two. Vampirella, number 38. Uh, we've got Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 35. Um, I helped make Turok Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did? Yeah, I did. Wow. Uh, from, no. <laughs> uh, from IDW, we've got Dead World Restoration, number three, G.I. Joe, number 13, Gateway, number two, Haunted Horror, number nine, Illegitimates, number three, Judge Dead, Judge Dead, Judge Dread Classics, number eight, and Judge Dread Mega City 2, number two. Uh, we've got, oh, the hardcover of Lock and Key, Volume 6, Alpha and Omega comes ooh, out. Ooh. Um, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, number 16. <gasps> Popeye Classics, number 19. Sinister Dexter, number three. Um, we've got... Oh, Transformers. Bob? Oh, it's... it's uh, mm, <laughs> I don't remember. More than meets the eye. That is correct. <gasps> Whoa, man. I'm on a roll. Epic run. Yeah. Um, Image Comics, we've got Aphrodite 9, number eight. Apocalypse AI, number one. Is either... Apocalypse AI or Apocalypse Owl. I'm not really sure. Owl. Uh, um, but it's number one. Um, Artifacts, number 34. Drumheller, number four. Yeah. Five Ghosts, number nine. Invincible Universe, number 10. Lazarus, number six. Minimum Wage, number two. Um, we've got uh, a resolicited secret, number five. Um, we've got Sidekicks, number five as well. Uh, from Marvel Comics, All New Invaders, number two. Ooh. Ooh. We've got... Um, Avengers AI, number nine. Black Widow, number three. Yes. Captain America, number 16 point now. Um, we've got uh, Iron Man, number 21. Loki, Loki, Agent of Asgard. Loki, Agent of Asgard, number one. Um, we've got Mighty Avengers, number six. Marvel Knights, Spider-Man, number five of five. Miss Marvel, number one. Yes. <laughs> New Avengers, number 14. We've got... Painkiller Jane, The Price of Freedom, number four of four. Punisher, number one. Ooh, Wolver- Punisher on vacation. Yep. <laughs> we got um, Superior Carnage Annual, number one. Wolverine, number one. X-Men, number 10 point now. <laughs> um, let's see here. What else we got here? From Valiant, we've got Archer and Armstrong, number zero. And Shadow Man, number 15. And from Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Ascension number one, Code Red number three, and Oz number six. I'm not saying anything after last week. <laughs> that was awesome. But barmaids, no, I'm not going there again. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good joke, Bob, last week. We got a couple of tweets about that, by the way. Really? Yeah. yeah. I apologize again. <laughs> um, so that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast uh, for this week. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Mara? At Mega Maramon. Love Come on, that. you can't say it like that. It's nice. Go for it. You got to do the Mega big voice. Maramon. There you, there you go. go. And Bob, your email address. Uh, dead anchorus. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's Bob Don't Ryer. Put your hate mail on me, man. Right. I can't get enough of my own. It's Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Awesome. Awesome. Um, make sure you guys check out all the uh, articles, uh, reviews, and columns on talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, check out our YouTube channel. You can actually, there's a link to it. There's a little icon for it right on talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, you can go to, you can see our video shows, the, the, the book club, uh, comics and coffee. Uh, and we're going to have uh, some more stuff for you guys coming in the future some pretty cool announcements for you guys um if uh if i can i'll just uh we're gonna lock down a date for the month for this month of february forthcoming but the book of choice a couple of people that are in the club don't even know this yet (laughs) is going to be kingdom come nice so if you would care to read and we're gonna try to figure out something this time where we get like a an in the moment instead of just commenting we're gonna get a room going on where people can can Mm. you know voice their opinions cool. and whatnot cool um nice mark wade and alex ross right yeah it's gonna be Ooh. awesome very nice very very nice um you can usually catch mara and i on comics and coffee on fridays at 9 a.m but mara left me last week and she's leaving me again this week <gasps> sorry so i've got to go work with children that have fetal alcohol syndrome I guess that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah, it's better than the dog ate my comics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Big thank you to Joey Esposito uh, for stepping in last week. Uh, If you guys, I talked about Pawn Shop on the show last week. If you guys want to hear more about that um, and his other work, uh, check that out at Comics and Coffee um, on on the site uh, right now. Um, So yeah, that's going to do it. Like I said, I have one bit of of stuff while while we have Mara here. Okay. Mar, did you see the Comicsology data they came out with this week? No. About their female readership? What is it? On, on Comicsology, their average female reader is 17 to 26 years old, college educated, lives in the suburbs, and may have never picked up a print comic before. Wow. I'm so proud. In six, <laughs> in six years, female readership on Comicsology increased from less than 5% to more than 20%. Hmm. That's awesome. Now, when you can contrast that to the print medium, which I remember this because we have been talking about things like yeah. this, where I think DC's is somewhere around 3%, 3.5%, Marvel's near to 10 mm-hmm. But Comixology, the smaller books, the indie books, and a certain percentage of the larger books where maybe young ladies don't want to go into the mm-hmm. store, more than 20%. That is progress. We say there's progress coming. Here's tangible proof. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. I also uh, think it I, speaks a lot to how much our comic book store inhibits female readers from going in. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I think that the great thing about comicsology, right, and, and, and online comics in general is that it it it's it stops you from having to – I think a lot of people don't read comics. It's, it's like this kind of specter, you know, like this – like what what is a comic book shop when I go in there? What am I going to see? You know, how am I going to find what I'm looking for? You know – and this way, it's in a device that they know how to use really, really easily. It's at the click of a button whenever they want it. And I feel like, I, I you know, I feel like we get a lot of these kind of print versus digital. And some people were, uh, I think there's a thread in the forum actually. It's all about like, do you feel guilty for buying books digitally, not supporting you know your, your shop, yeah. your local shop? And I think that I, I think that it's going to come very come very clear if it's not already that they're not a versus situation. You know, mm. print and digital are not versus each other. They're 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 a team to get more people to read the books that you want to read and i think that as we've seen this thing and if we talked about this a couple times and we're going to do this when we get the comic book sales numbers for january we'll go to comicsology and we'll look at their 
their their lists as well and try to oh, weed out the, try to weed out the free ones or the or the ninety nine cent ones because that's not always it doesn't always hold water compared to the ones that are on the the diamond list. But I think that when you look at books that seem to be not be selling very well on the diamond charts, but don't never get canceled, and you and you hear about all this money that people are making and all the companies like IDW and stuff are making on their licensed properties or Dark Horse. I think a lot of the I think a, there's a lot of other sales coming from digital mediums, and I think that that's why you see these books getting such a following. I think that when you look at something like obviously they're rebooting Captain Marvel, but I I have to assume that they had a pretty good digital sales push considering the yeah. numbers that you're telling me about mm-hmm. female readership. And I I'm very interested what happens when Miss Marvel launches. I mean it has launched now that you guys are listening to this, but we're up the night before, which I, what what I think is going to be one of the biggest books uh, you know of the entire Absolutely. year. Um, mm-hmm in impact so bring it on yeah oh, absolutely i had a good little nugget there you did yeah. absolutely thanks for sharing that yeah that's my a, pleasure very cool numbers to hear um all right so that now that's now. gonna do it for the talking comics podcast for steve wolf bob happy birthday to george romero and mara i've got nothing clever to say <laughs> you just did <laughs> i have been bobby until next time on talking comics to be continued.